OTB Rugby. And uh, if everyone in Ireland's a wee bit worried, well, you've got yourselves to blame because it's your fault because it's what you did to them uh, in July last year that poked the bear properly. You know that. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Yeah, it is OGBN, the sports breakfast show on Off the Ball on this uh, unseasonably sunny uh, early August morning. It's been beautiful to cycle in this morning. The lads are laughing already. Quite all Drumcondra sort of duo. Colin Bowie, how are you? Johnny Ward, what a pleasure. Uh, Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent. How are you, Dan? Johnny, Colin, how are you? We have lots to discuss today. I'm going to start with you, Colin. What was your highlight of the weekend? In general? Yeah, like in life. Went out to Cork. Always a highlight. Always a highlight. I went to a pub, right, that I've never been to before, which is actually a bit criminal. It's called Chine. In Cork? Yeah. Right. Oh. Uh, As opposed to the one Jeff Buckley was famous in or the one on the Keys? Yeah, neither of those. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> this one in Cork. Just throwing it Not out that there. One. And uh, you see McCurtain Street in Cork has come on leaps and bounds. Named after it. the hunger striker. And that's on the... So you go up Bridge Street, that's on the right-hand side, and then Chine's off to the left. And uh, for whatever reason over the years, now the people I was with were absolutely certain that I had been there before, but I don't think I had. Anyway, great spot. Sure there's plenty of people out there who've been there. But I'd say that was the highlight. Went down also to see my sister and my niece came over from England. That was up there too. That was a good highlight. And then on the sporting front, probably Cork, Hammering, Waterford, because the in-laws, of course, are from Waterford. Yeah, um, you spoke with the in-laws last week and your house movement, Dan. I'm sure you were interested because you've had a long North Dublin sort of... House movement as well that's worked out well for yourself. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I did move there like four years ago. Mm, took a while. Four years ago, but uh, now Columns moved to the area. Yeah, Dublin Nine is it? Dublin Nine. It's, it's like, I mean, it's. I, I don't know what more we can add here to make this anything. What's more it like being a blow in on the north side? Like, scary. Is it? Yeah, it's fish out of water. Like I was eight years on the south side. Bear in mind. You know? You're also from Cork, like you were blowing. As in, do you know what I mean? Well, totally, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, and someone said to me there, it's actually our own uh, Jess Kelly colleague, who was like, you know, you're a dub now, like you live in Dublin, like you bought a house. But I've never felt less like a dub. Mm. Why is that? I suppose I'm fighting against it, like. Yeah. I'm fighting against the reality yeah, that I just bought a house in Dublin. Well, I'm 23 years in Dublin. Um, Are you? Se- going on 24, and I was like. 17 in East Galway but I'm I'm a Galwegian in my head yeah yeah Galway like I think you become prouder I mean, it's like people who say they live in um, Australia or Canada or America if you're Irish you feel even more Irish mm. it's kind of feel even more Cork but sure I'm only down there like two or three times a year and the beauty is as well neither Colin nor I uh, has lost the accent um, that we had as opposed to Dan who's yeah, basically, yeah. basically a posh Dublin accent now I don't know about that but yeah no I'm the same as you like 24 yeah. years um this year and next or next year and like you're more than half your life and then like if you have a you like you know you have a little one who is definitely a dub then you realise it's changed you Nathan know, Murphy bringing yeah. the kids to Tala and all that Tala and like yeah really. and you see all these you see like well this is the point I mean this is we're not going back to the Dublin GEA point but obviously you see all these like you might know people who are like inter- inter-county players or whoever you know who've naturally life has taken them to Dublin but all their kids are mm. I remember I remember you're at a wedding in um England and the father of the bride was from 
um, basically from Mount Bellew in Galway and all the kids had like real Manchester accents and I said like what's it like being from where I'm from and your kids like sound like you know like proper Manchester accents and he goes I never actually noticed mm. it's just like they were just my kids and that's just the way they you just never noticed and it's like there we go the Irish in Britain there's mm-hmm. a part of me that thinks well inevitably I am going to move back to Cork inevitably and that's the saving can't grace can't say that though that's the saving grace but you see, that's Dublin is giving you a home Freeman here. Talks about. Dublin is giving you a home, and you're like, I'm only oh, here out of suffer- suffering. Like, oh no, wait, it was actually Tim Robbins' character who talked about hope in Shawshank. Yeah. That's what you have. 19 years. You're not in jail, you're living in Drumcondra. <laughs> like, Whitehall, yeah. Whitehall. But, um, no, I feel, like I, will, I feel like I will return home eventually, and that's what keeps me going. But for now, it's nice. It's a nice area. You're living in you're living in Dublin, like I mean, you make it sound like you've been exiled to like a far Siberia. part of the British Empire, like you know, it's it's you know, it's, it's yeah, exactly. He's in Siberia, thinking one day I'll get back to Moscow. Like I will be, I will be, I will be yeah. welcome back there one day. Yeah, I'm embracing it for now. I live in Harold's Cross, and I love it. I love yeah. pretty much everything. The only thing it doesn't have is access to the sea, but like everything else, I love about. Now, how long have you been there specifically? Few few years and but like generally Dublin 8 sort of it, technically it's Dublin 6 but do, I've been Dublin 8 for years or like it's just over the canal yeah. um, and Harles Cross is this mixture of local dyed in the wool Harles Cross people um, lads like me who've come up from the country and like a lot of foreigners like a lot of the kind of Muslim community live there because it's near the mosque so you have this real mixture of different and really good places to eat like yeah, and and the old dog I, track. Which you don't strike really me as someone who's pining for East Galway that much, though. Like you know, people who would follow your life would see you again in a, in a fine dining house of some description, and they're not thinking possibly deep, my own. Deep down, deep down, he wishes he was well. Here's he was the thing, home then. on the land. So here's the thing. So since I was a nipper in East Galway, my father sold the land to a fellow from Cork. Mm. He then leased the land back to us. But I think there was some sort of issue where this couldn't happen. So he planted the land, which is quite sad. But it's turned into like a real wooded area now. So it's really like full of wildlife. So it's full of like deer, red squirrel, pine marten, foxes, anything you want, loads of birds. So it's like um, going home now is like therapy, like just getting away from the city. And I actually do love East Galway. Whether I could live there, I don't think you could. No chance. I think I could. Really? I think I could because... If you have Wi-Fi, it's honestly like... So if you had Instagram, you could live there because you could chronicle the colour of your life. But otherwise, if, if all you had was to live there but you couldn't tell anyone about it, could you do it? You know that crisis, though, when the Wi-Fi goes down or, like, there's no access to 4G? That's the crisis of our times. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, Jesus. Anxiety. You're never more alone. Yeah. You're never yeah. more alone when you have no coverage. yeah. And like I got the train, I, I get the train a lot, or even if you're in an airport, and like, God, if 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 somebody hadn't access to his or her phone, the world has ended. Like, because mm-hmm. like, God, you might have to talk to someone. Come here now. Just before we get to the coming up, there, Kevin Callahan's on my fashion buzz. Nice tap, Johnny. YouTube comments. It is a nice tap. I, I actually there's a, there's a story which isn't. It's not really amusing, but there was the Instagram targeted ads. I find are exceptionally good, mm-hmm. and there was this like. Um, it was a t-shirt that was based on an old kind of VHS kind of um, team. And I was like, that's a really cool t-shirt. So I went to buy it. But then it was like free postage if you spend so much. So I had to add on 
couple of things and this was one of them that was that's basically you so it only came into being as like consumer do you know the way like remember when Big Jack went to was it like he got he wanted to get Houghton and he got Aldo as well or vice versa in Oxford was it yeah yeah so it was kind of like that like the other was like Usher might as well get him as well like he's so got that, an Irish the was, over there yeah. and I, I had like the the shorts I wore I wore them all at Beyond the Pale I wore the, the whole the whole get up and mixed reaction that's what he said <laughs> mainly from the missus like this is a disgraceful outfit she had a mixed reaction <laughs> yeah like she didn't throw up like but in her head she kind of did coming up on the show today um, yeah, there you go. what does that say talk to the audience so performance <laughs> rankings we're already gone over the time there we're going to we're going to talk about Man United in Dublin anyway let's let's definitely uh, mention that Alan Quinlan is going to talk about the Ireland Italy game at the same venue Um yeah, lots to ruminate about there. How did the French players get on? Sarah Donovan's going to be on then, uh, more or less in the middle of the show, to talk about um, a one-sided Camogie uh, final, albeit one that I think introduced the concept to some people of how good the sport could be, or certainly to me anyway. Andy Mitten was actually at the Aviva Stadium, so we're going to hear from him. Tim Clancy is in studio. Tim Clancy is one of these out-of-work managers who is pining to get back or not, but was going to talk about Derry City in Europe and the League of Ireland. Uh, he only left, what, a couple of months ago. And then we'll hear at the end of the show from uh, Gordon Darcy and James Downey, um, who were on yesterday. Um I guess it is time for the performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is it just like that intensity. Yeah, so the if you're doing the performance rankings, uh, Colin will say, okay, you just this is what it'll, it'll likely entail. Dan is notoriously um, hostile to other sports, so he's in the hot that's, seat That's today. not remotely it true, actually to be is. clear. It's not remotely notoriously true. hostile. Dan, no, no, where are we starting here? No, well, uh, I'm going to start with football. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> um, of hostility. Uh, how many football slots are there now? Okay, no, I mean, I really enjoy golf and, and horse racing and other sports, as you know. <laughs> um, Aviva Stadium friendlies, yeah. Well, look, I was writing about this last week. I mean, and this was... Um, a reference to Manchester United in Dublin at the weekend. We see some like nice pictures there of players. And look, it's a personal taste. This isn't one of these things of telling people um, how to live their lives. Like People can choose to spend their money as they want and it's not one of these um, up on the sort of uh, you know, giving a sermon about what people should do. It's not one of those. I actually think, like, it's, 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 it's actually for some of those people, it must have been a very deeply frustrating experience on Saturday lunchtime when you see the team news coming through from Old Trafford and uh, Manchester United have, are playing a full-strength team or close to a full-strength team in their, in their game there. And you know then that the team that's coming to Dublin is... Um, is not going to be the strongest one. How much uh, were the tickets for the? Vita I think. Stadium? Well, I think it was upwards of sort of. I mean, seventy-five euro. You, you hear people talking about one hundred and ten. That was premium. Yeah. Um, so there's obviously different tiered prices, and you know, kids' tickets to be different prices. Now these sold out within ten minutes. This game. I mean, like this is the, obviously the deep love and sort of passion that there is for Manchester United in Dublin that they can sell it out. I mean, there's there's all sorts of football games in Aviva that would be d- delighted that forty thousand people would go, and like this is the first time. Here since 2017, um, and I understand it. And, and a lot of people would have bought those tickets on the basis of it being, you know, you can imagine that the conversations people would have, you know, or like parents with their kids. And it's not just parents with their kids; it's just it's the one sometimes you kids go with to. their parents. Yeah, but it's, it's an element of well, you know, will I see? 
Bruno or will I see Rashford or will I see whoever? Um, and look, I mean, uh, there's no suggestion that like Eric, you know, Ten Hag or anything should be, it's not a case of saying, oh, well, that's a disgrace. I mean, it, they're just doing their job. Mm. The issue is the terms and conditions for the whole uh, occasion. Like the FBI are arranging these games, they're, they're completely free hit for them in the sense they get a flat fee for hosting it. The organisers bring together the teams um, and clearly in some cases for these friendlies, I remember in the past Barcelona coming here, there was a bit of a discussion about, you know, trying to get people will try and get terms and conditions in these friendlies that Messi has to play or, you know, X amount of players have to play. Clearly, there's no such terms and conditions here. And like I know from the perspective of even, and no one cares about the press, the press perspective. But you see the the email coming out. You know, apply for accreditation for this game. Just note there will be no post match press conference afterwards. And you're just looking at this, going, these are just getting in and they're getting out. And there's no terms and conditions at all. There's no obligation. And there's a sense of. The, the, the power of the name will mean that it will sell mm. and that's it. And it turned out that the tickets for the game on Old Trafford on Saturday were certainly 20% cheaper, I think, or certainly considerably cheaper. I actually spoke to um, David Snade the weekend, who's obviously, you know, with strong Manchester United connections. He spoke about a friend of his from, from Ireland who actually flew over to the game in Manchester and all things considered, it would have been cheaper to do that trip than it would be for a lot of people, particularly coming from outside Dublin to come to this it's game so as we know yeah, not going yeah. into the cost of living stuff well, and got, you get yeah. there and look you can't maybe, maybe there's loads of people out there who went who'll say no we enjoyed our day it was a good time and we were around fellow fans and you know got some nice photographs and, and you know there was that's fine but like these occasions never live up to it like, mm. every time I see a pre-season friendly arranged in Dublin I'm thinking well, I need to figure out how not to go to that <laughs> because that's, that's not going to be, uh, it's not going to live up to the billing. But naturally, every time, it's not sold to people in that way. Was it the and they, they empty their pockets on a half-truth, you know? And there's a lot of, a lot of unhappiness out there. And while technically no lies were told, you know, again, they have no obligation. But clearly, like it's been booked on the basis of just bring a team. It'll sell anyway. And it did. Was but it it's, the, I think it's very unsatisfying. Was it the Amstel tournament all those years ago when Derry City were playing and there were like um, Newcastle United came over um, and they had they ran a little ran, ran for a couple of years and I organised a bus from Galway to go up because I was getting into League of Ireland at the time and I wanted to go up and see Derry City but everyone else can up see Newcastle or Celtic or all these teams and um, that was nowhere near sold out at the time but this I got like loads of demands for people who yeah. wanted tickets last week mm. and as did Dan actually and I was like I didn't realise I, I wasn't even aware of the friendly itself but then I was like there are, there's still a massive Man United support in Ireland that want to see them and like back in the day I would have been I would mean like I follow your League of Ireland team but like it's each to their own if you want to go up and mm. see them I actually did feel a bit sorry for like do, a kid yeah. who wants to see Man United and like he's built up to the day and then you just see everyone booing Harry Maguire yeah it's huge like I got back into Houston uh, at about 6 o'clock Sunday evening and when I was walking out it was just a sea of Manchester United jerseys going mm. back to counties not from Dublin basically mm. all families ranging from all age groups all, almost all of them too had the new jersey which I thought was striking it was like wow. the, the money that this club accumulates and so it is it's a debate right down the middle because United don't owe anyone anything you could argue right so they played Lawns at Old Trafford on Saturday and you look at the starting 11 there and it was ominous for the following day because it's a really strong team like yeah. like that start, that starting team that played against Lawns in a 3-1 win could very feasibly be a team that United would put against Man City in the Manchester Derby mm. so that was that looked bad like straight away 
and then they go the next day and they get this massive money-making operation because they're uh, commercial classes United they've been doing this for 20 plus years they're way ahead of like if you look at the 90s look at Anfield was basically dilapidated in comparison to Old Trafford and the work that they did like there's that famous game um in was it October 95 it was Cantona's first game back yeah, when Fowler scored all, twice yeah. and uh, the stands there reconstructed yeah that's right and so it looked terrible at the time but it was all like oh, think about the long term since the Glazers come in they've really maximised their commercial yeah value. but even before that like yeah. on, in the previous regime it was like this the stadium was incredible and now United have actually fallen behind mm-hmm. in terms of the stadium but the commercial enterprise just grew and grew and grew mm-hmm. remember after the treble they released Beyond the Promised Land I think was the video which was like it went huge like people bought it everywhere see so you, you fast forward to the modern day and like you said Johnny like each to their own and United have an absolutely massive support and you say you get the average kid saying to their parents I really want to go bring me to this match and there was still one or two stars that played so the picture that we showed on screen was Jaden Sancho getting a selfie you know one of the more expensive players the last few years so that's another that's the star that's yeah. there and they have so many stars in the team as in stars that kids were like that it was probably justified to a lot of kids leaving the Aviva yesterday thinking thank you so much for bringing me but then the rest of us are looking at it from a footballing perspective it was like what was that all about they had basically uh, a festival of football over the weekend where their headline act was on Saturday Yeah, USA at the World Cup Dan uh, is next yeah well they're out um, they I just never got going for them. No, I mean it was striking. I was looking before that game against Sweden on 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 the weekend, and even just like the even some of the betting markets and stuff, it was clear it was going to be a low scoring game. There was an anticipation that this was going to be a bit of a slog, and part of that is maybe on account of Sweden's reputation as much as anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they. There's, there's this sort of litany of shocks in the World Cup. I mean, England probably, you know, we're, we're sort of one penalty kick away from being in here too because they they really left it late against Nigeria in the sense of, I mean, not left it late. I mean, they won on penalties, but I mean, they were hanging on an extra time um, with 10 players on the pitch and they could have been gone too. And the whole competition seems to be opening up to the point where, like, I think, you know, Spain are the second favourites having, like, basically left 12 players at home um, due to a dispute coming up to the competition. So it's all falling apart. And USA are sort of like, you know, the traditional power that you think, okay, they're going to take control of the situation and they're just gone. Their earliest exit, round of 16 on penalties. A lot of people may have seen the penalty kick incident where the ball sort of did it cross the line the, the, the power of technology can you explain it well it was the last penalty kick for the Swedish player and uh, look at that it's, it's, it's yeah, there's the, the ball just, just over the line and, and the you cannot be of, serious like. the goalkeeper pushed it up and it's actually you need to watch it a couple of times to get a sense of what happened um, and the player didn't even seem particularly sure that they'd scored this momentous like this is your David O'Leary moment here or something um, not quite maybe on that scale in Sweden are a top team but like it's a, still a momentous thing to knock America out of the World Cup and you have this agonising delay while you wait for it to happen uh, and then it happens <laughs> you know was well, it the most underwhelming uh, celebration of a momentous achievement in the history of anything you because you have to uh, wait so long it, it is and it re- in, in live play as well it really looked like the keeper saved it yeah like it really did like so I understand the delay by everyone you mentioned David O'Leary. Um, Steve McGuinness had his 50th birthday celebration the other night to XPFAI 
head. Charlie O'Leary was at it. What current, a man. current PFI head. Well, current PFI. Let's, not, sorry. let's not retire him. Um, what, Charlie O'Leary. Charlie O'Leary was there. He was, yeah. He's Charlie now. God, he's, he's pushing close to 100 territory. He lives in Dublin 9 as well, or that neck of the woods. Who doesn't? He's Great one of our neighbours. Yeah. Bet you Charlie doesn't disown it, though. Like. Or he's, uh, maybe Dublin 5, but he's, he's nearby. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like he uh, he was there, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a slight tangent, but he is uh, an incredible, incredibly powerful football figure. Um and he's still still going strong, unlike the American women at the World oh, Cup. Nice, oh, nice, nice, nice. See, we, see, we, see, he was thinking, how am I going to bring this back? Oh, yeah. Because of your tangent. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? But uh, and of course, you know, the American then, like, you know, Megan Raffinoe missed a penalty and like D- Donald yeah. Trump's having a go. You know, their 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 defeat is like a defeat for wokeness, you know, that they've gone out. So, um, <laughs> like, this, just all this. Who are we up for, Dan? Who are the neutrals in Ireland up for now? Well... England? I don't know. I'd imagine this. We, we have this, you know, we, we should be mature as so a nation. They're watching Man United on We should Sunday. be mature as a nation, blah, blah, blah. But they're not up for England. Yeah, okay. You know, they're not up for England. The, um, Japan, Japan are sort of, um, Japan are up there. That's a story you could probably get behind, you know. Mm. Uh, it's like Jamaica and Colombia. Um, you have the sort of, uh, you know, the Colombian assassins, or are they, you know, who England played a winner of that game, so. Assassins? Um, did you not follow the, the whole beforehand remember Denise O'Sullivan family that was called oh by. sorry yeah. yes yes we yes, might yes. Uh, have a grudging respect for them like yes. Netflix documentary but style over yeah. time we might yeah. have uh, you may realise they, they weren't that bad at all no no yeah, it wasn't yeah. so bad but four penalties missed in a row in this shootout too which is quite phenomenal before the winning kick which was quite ambiguous um, America, also, America of course won the last two World Cups mm. like, so this is kind of just hasn't gotten this going is, well this is kind of the equivalent yeah. of like France uh, the 2002 World yeah. Cup I know they've gone around further America but they were very inconvincing and they nearly went out in the group stage. yeah you were thinking okay they're going to get going um, they haven't Arsenal are also here no this is the you know, we're going into Amber and we're going to so we're going into Irish rugby and, and Arsenal, Arsenal. So let's well, talk Dan let's talk rugby well let's talk yeah. rugby um, I, Dan loves rugby I, oh I just, yeah well, well the one thing I do have an aversion to <laughs> is is placing too much importance in like warm up games and like I've mentioned Arsenal in here too because like what does the community shield win mean it basically means nothing now unfortunately like you know sports shows have to talk about them and find the meaning from them and there will be new signings or new players or whatever it might be but I mean Arsenal won the community shield in 2020 Arteta was nearly gone two months later around the time they were playing on the dock I remember at the time it was like the feel good factor around Arsenal continues as they win the Community Shield counted for nothing yeah. Leicester won it uh, a year later I mean I have to mention this beforehand because anyone remembers and in fairness the other staff in the show remembered who won the Community Shield I couldn't yeah. I looked up and I was like this has no bearing on anything so yeah, I mean, Arsenal, it shows that they're in good health, but I don't think Man City uh, are suddenly trembling because this new force, like, you know, hit back against them uh, in, the, in the Community Shield with a load of extra time in it. Um, How and the Irish rugby game, again, yeah. look, I mean, it's just, to me, these, I know people, this is like the odd, you know, test matches and friendlies, but, like, it's, it's a war, it, the, the Rugby World Cup friendlies are very much warm-up matches more so than any other it seems to be avoiding injury as much as anything and can you glean too much from them uh, so I wouldn't be putting anyone in green on the basis of their performance we, we've, yeah, I mean, it's, it's green, it's green for the result alone. like 33-17 against the side that we only played a few months ago so it wasn't that inspiring to play Italy again like it's the first match Ireland played since the 18th of March but it's all crucial it's all necessary to get some sort of have to play again, rhythm going but like yeah. we were saying before and look they're only playing three warm-up games officially now they're against Portugal mm. this week in warm weather training but that'll be behind closed doors extremely unofficial Colombia style but yeah there's only three warm-ups which is the first time since 2007 Every, every subsequent World Cup since then it's been four games but Andy Farrell um, had that put to him and he said look we don't need the games like this is all about training and this squad know each other so so well now so like look 
you, one could probably hazard a guess at the 23 that will be in the first game like um, from the starters and the bench but it's probably more the periphery fig- peripheral figures and then also at the weekend it just showcased how Caden Doris can really play across the back row like he was absolutely phenomenal at 7 scoring 2 tries and was he, he, did, he did a burst in the second half like the, the pace nah, of this he's lad unbelievable. I was like, but you have the Jack Conan thing you have the Italian guy I was like how can you play these warm ups in rugby without having this massive 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 risk of injury yeah, so it's a really really t- tough one for Farrell because it's like Doris played like how much did he play the game like he was and you're like why Why are we even risking these lads you see if you want if you go out there with that mentality you will yeah. get injured yeah I know what you mean you know, and you have to have to play the warm up games mm. it's like any sport for, preparing for any major competition it's funny yesterday like Sam Ewing just back from injury breaks his leg basically at Cork mm-hmm. and I say it to Danny Gilligan who's like basically in the same stable and I was like you know you're you're the same age more or less as him as a little bit younger and um, you know you, you it must be in your head like that this can happen he goes oh it's not in my head like you can't think like that you, you never yeah. think like that but um, yeah I saw the interview with Wesley Joyce the jockey over oh, the weekend yeah, like, that's a complete, complete and, tangent but like a jockey was in a very serious injury at the Galway races last year and a, sort of a powerful interview that effectively like he's he sort of lost the full use of his yeah, voice. Yeah, so he speaks like he's kind of whispering, kind of. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing that he can even do that. But he's back and he's back, back at it. So, like, um, he does, you know, you can't. From Moy Ross, like, the, the, his, his story's a movie, like, and, yeah. and he's, the story isn't written yet. Um, but yeah. just, just going back to Arsenal, Declan Rice, so I, how was he? He was, he was good. He was good from what I saw. I know there was a reaction to it. Yeah, yeah well, I know Roy Keane's on about him not being worth it, and but I mean the problem with that is that no one is worth the money yeah. that, the that the fees relevant. like the you know the, the, the fees have gone the so crazy. The fees is like 105 million pounds. Who cares? If he stays at Arsenal for a yeah. decade, then Who it's cares? value for money because then yeah, season by no, season no. you break it down. Like, um, and I, it's so uninteresting the fee discussion, isn't it? Because I think we're way beyond that. I think if people debate transfer fees, they recall what transfer fees were when like Andy Cole went for seven million. Or Roy Keane went for like three point six or whatever. News the other day, and in the space of like a minute, there was like there was the news and brief transfers, and it was like a twenty-two million, a thirty-two million, and a twenty-six million. Like yeah. it did, like one hundred and five million is twenty million in sort of how we in yeah. an inflationary sort of way. When know? Roy Keane moved to United for three point seven five million, people are talking about bankers' money. Shearer to Newcastle fifteen million was a world record, crazy money. Like what's That's gone wrong same. with the game? It does. It doesn't matter. The figures change, but the, like the sentiment stays the same. Like people I, will always be outraged by big fees. I I, I actually kind of have sympathy for Roy Keane now at the moment because it's like are you are you Roy Keane or are you what people expect of Roy Keane because he says something about Declan Rice and I'm just like all my all my feed of media stuff for the weekend was like Roy Keane says something about Declan Rice I'm like how is this even a story like yeah, well, it, was, it was everywhere but it's his pull because, so you know, his pull. because so he must be like he's the biggest pull that pull factors into his contract negotiations there's going to be an announcement today he's on United social media accounts that there's this teaser of him where he appears from the shadows and it says the 8th of August 2023 so that's mm. today something's coming he's not announcing another game of Dublin isn't <laughs> <laughs> maybe he he's might playing, play in this no, so they've made amends yeah. but like oh, like oh, he's a complete commercial outlet look look. also uh, Dan Fergus Keogh in the comments there has a uh, bone to pick with you about your amber choices Arsenal won their game why orange and Ireland B won their game comfortably why orange utter nonsense now you had a point to prove about because we were saying maybe Arsenal and Green but you were like no 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 well, like, I mean, let's take let's take this to the performance rankings are based on a traffic light, right? Uh-huh. And it's in the context of where they're going in the context of their goal this season. Are you saying that they've sped on through now? Like they're on you go, you are ready, like you are you are off to go. Well, when, it's when, amber, you're still waiting. When it's too, we're still waiting when it's to too late to break and the lights are at amber, you yeah. go through. 
and that's Arsenal. They won the Community Shield. Well, they beat the well, treble winners. You need, you need a light green or something here, you know. But or if it's whatever. Like the break, it's actually dangerous. Yeah, to stop. Yeah, we're not advocating people do that. Ridiculous. But what I'm saying is, Fergus, no, I don't think uh, green for me are like competitive wins. Not. Uh, I know, but it's not their fault that it's not a competitive well, game. Yeah, they like, won the game. I know, but like, do you know what I mean? Now, it's, it's, hang on, if they hit green this week, then what? Where do they go if they win their like five league oh, games? Like, in you know, a row? Yeah, the performance rankings is the day of itself. Like, it's not an overall. There's better greens. We've got greens. If they're, 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 they're good greens. They're like, if you're waking up groggy at three minutes to eight after Bank Holiday weekend and you're listening to two lads on about like whether it should be green or amber, in, but sure, in that's the whole slash. Like, what? What? Unbelievable. Go ahead. So the one thing as well the injury time at the end of Habs we'll, we, we will discuss that later on yeah, but we'll, let's, let's mention it just very briefly Arsenal equalised in the 11th minute yeah. of 13 added on if they continue that like you said beforehand players going to go mad so, we'll talk about it with me yeah um, well although I mean it shows that maybe over the years football matches have only ever really been 70 minutes long not no I know long. I know that but then like bring it down to 80 minutes don't yeah, be yeah, add, yeah, add, yeah, it's yeah, too yeah. long like, yeah psychologically um, it's crazy another Simpsons reference really really touching one when the, the Mensa people sort of took over Springfield and they got rid of the green light so it went from red to amber so like you know, traffic like oh so like all traffic went faster <laughs> and Lenny Lenny's at uh, he goes and it goes hammered he goes oh he goes through and he goes oh thank God I made that light and then he goes if only I had somewhere to go <laughs> that's one of these touching moments yeah, um, yeah. speaking Amy of touching O'Connor. moments tr- we're, we've two more to go down yeah we do we have the green well again like you know meaningful wins um, so Cork well I mean as as Colin mentioned like it was a little bit of a massacre on Sunday Rebelette like, it was one of those games where you like you you, you flick over a little bit late. You know, and they're like sort of twenty twenty five, and even then it's like okay, this doesn't, this looks ominous. But Watford missed goal chances, staying touch in the first half. That was the killer. Yeah, um, but like you have Amy O'Connor talking about scoring a hat trick and not realizing she's done it. Yeah, what what an absolute champ! Like Ask that class. is humility. That, and How is she from Cork? Like honestly, <laughs> seriously, like. it's genuine. But look, is the, she from Cork? The game, the game could have been different, right? Because <laughs> it was one nine to three points at half time. But Watford had a penalty last point yeah. in the first half, and, and another goal chance as well. Yeah, t- uh, wide top left, and she doesn't miss these things. So that was the turning point. But yeah. A hat trick in two minutes, like yeah. unbelievable. Um, just like, yeah, you the don't want memories of Robbie Fowler four minutes thirty five against Arsenal back in the day. Yeah, um, no, I like. I mean, he definitely. I don't think he was in the zone where he didn't know he'd done it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just yeah, like it's sort of when you it's the last couple of minutes and it's sort of meandering away and it's sort of like junk time and a sort of a basketball game where it's just game over and like that's not what you want. But I know like we've got Sarah Donovan coming up anyway to sort of pick over the sort of details of the game. But to me, it's I know it's a Cork win, but I think it's the the individual brilliance um, of a sort of a multi talented sort of sports person as well as we spoke about last. We're going week, to so. we're going to hear from Amy as well uh, around the time here from Sarah Dunn. Yeah. Very very brief though. I'm watching the Sunday game highlights last night. Kamogi could be really marketable. I, I'm telling you because like it's gotten a lot more physical as well and it's it's fast um, it's clearly improving skillfully wise and if you brought like f- fair enough a hurling camogie whatever but if you brought like a tourist to a good camogie game in Crow Park with the atmosphere on Sunday that's a lot closer people would be like this is this is something like it's re I don't know I I I, I was actually um, texting Noel Connors last night because he was on the show last week and um, I was like this this is because. It's funny from East Galway, from where I'm from, it's like all ladies football. Camogie doesn't really feature, but you're watching. So you're watching every now and then. You're like, Jesus, if if you could sell this game a bit more, 
I don't know. I it's well, the same as Harlan, I suppose. Dan, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, it's just so condensed as well. It's like, but I don't think when, we've when, heard when, when we've been talking about Camogie uh, in the performance rankings this year. It's been about protests, and it's not really been about the yeah. game itself. Like, uh, off you know the top mean? of my head, at home, we don't have a Camogie team. We have a very good hurling team. We have a very yeah. good ladies football team. We don't have a Camogie team. Yeah, look, the, off the top of my head, women's getting football is is ahead of Camogie in terms mm. of marketing for sure. And you're right, like there's a serious game there that's been left behind. But it seems like there's only so much room for certain people or for some people to actually get on board with this. There was over thirty thousand at Crow Park. Mm. The, 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 the Cork like, victory is, is not good in some respects. No, the, the, the margin of victory mm. when people look, the worry is people looking at it and be like, oh, mm. sure, look. But, it's, but uh, wait, Waterford appearing in their first finals since 1945, yeah. never won it before. Yeah. And then Great you watch the majesty like. of that hat trick, like, and then the, and the, even the penalty miss in the last puck of the first half, right? There was drama in the game, but if you're looking at the result, you're thinking, Asher, oh, sure, geez, what's the point in that? But the game itself, like you said, was actually entertaining and spelled. Uh, Alan Quinlan is waiting patiently, so we have finally, Dan, our new favourite Irish team, basically. Well, yeah, there's always these uh, phases of a team being in vogue like if you had Preston and Stoke and Burnley and Burnley have a good contingent but I think Southampton is going to be one this year so they were playing Friday night against Sheffield Wednesday and Gavin Bazuna, Will Smallbone and Ryan Manning all started so Bazuna, not a great surprise to me he's like retained his place or he's regained his place uh, under a new manager Russell Martin Smallbone there was talk of him going out again maybe leaving Southampton but he was in there played the full 90 minutes and Ryan Manning who's Basically, he's moved from Swansea he's with Russell Martin again. Um, now, look, again, like Sheffield Wednesday have come up, you know, and and Southampton are coming down, and there's still like Premier League quality there, like Ward Prowse. Will he go? Mm. Will he stay? We'll see. But the last couple of minutes, they were very comfortable. Smallbone was involved, keeping the ball, like just really, really involved, sort of metronomic, and how he, sort of his presence in the match. Um, Manning looks like he's going to play all the time. And Bazunu might be a good thing for him just to have the experience of winning games sort of week on week. And uh, yeah, I, I think financially they may still have to lose a couple of players and I'm not sure if they're going to be up there all season, but I think there's a very strong chance they will be. I think like for three players who, you know, OK, Manning, him and Stephen Kenny, it just hasn't been a, an easy union, but you'd imagine there's a fair old chance of him being involved in the autumn. Um, and yeah, I think for Bazunu and Smallbone, it's just great to see them involved. Where is it? Yeah. In, a, in a team that will be... They pass the ball a lot. They they, 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 like the last couple of minutes, it was like keep ball stuff and Smallbone mm. was just everywhere, you know, just mm. taking very simple sort of five-yard passes. And I think they're playing four involved. at the back of this because Russell yeah. Martin was a real treat at the back last. Yeah, I think they probably have the versatility. Manning is quite versatile as well, but... Um, it's know, funny though, Dan, watching him when he was a number 10 at Goal United, the idea of him playing left back left centre back really? bonkers like he was a complete yeah. number 10 but in fairness to him where is the left back debate in Ireland now because yeah. obviously like McLean is kind of edging away from it well yeah he's gone to Wrexham and you'd imagine probably being in League 2 I mean McLean's got to 100 caps now which was a big landmark so we'll see where he stands and Stevens has got is back to Stoke now and mm. is back playing as well um, so you sort of can't forget him he was involved at the weekend then Callum O'Dowda got the shirt and was terrible in Greece like really terrible and you know so it probably is up for grabs for someone um, to take ownership of the situation and, and maybe you know Manning at Southampton could be the thing that you know properly sort of propels him forward but I think it's um, I think it's wide open we should mention Adam Ida as well scored the winning goal for Norwich what the, 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 the delight on the Corkman's yeah, face yeah like he needed like he didn't start but then he you know he got got a goal and he needed that and Shane Duffy back playing as well mm. one of the better absolutely half stories. Aaron Connolly yes what did you make of that because he sort of said I love the kid afterwards I think he does though yeah. Aaron Connolly divisive figure but I think Duffy and Connolly have seen a bit of social media stuff before to suggest that they 
you know, there was a sort of a big brother thing at Brighton going on. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, like the the weekend it was, I suppose, with the the EFL being back, um, there was at least some some positive Irish involvement. What is the um, general sort of expectation in the championship this season? Then um, started obviously a week earlier. Who are you who are you fancying? You, you know, people like doing those. There's actually great like little wager to the start of the season where you back like a, a winner or a team get promoted. But well, you look last year like the, the teams who went down last year. I mean, the parachute payments have still created a situation mm-hmm. where you should be strong. I mean, Leeds were unconvincing um, yesterday. You got Leicester. You'd imagine Leicester would be very strong if they keep hold of their. Um, they're stronger players like Jewsbury Hall was excellent the weekend um, but there's new management at these clubs as well so it's sort of harder to glean who's actually going to be the, the rising force outside it like Watch Norwich Norwich would be sort of half interesting with uh, David Wagner there now because um, I suppose I don't know I, you still feel when it comes to the crunch though Leicester and Leeds and Southampton won't be a million miles away there's nothing you know nothing revolutionary about stating that I think that's going to be the case but uh, it was a great division last year the championship from, from top to bottom was very very congested and very tight and I think it'll probably be more of the same What do you prefer watching the championship of the Premier League? I mean I prefer watching the Premier League but if there's a two games like on side to side and it's like Southampton and Stoke on one side and a Premier League game with no Irish players involved on the other side I'll watch Southampton and Stoke but that's just my personal interest uh, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB uh, it is coming to an Apple Green near you and new Braeburn locations are popping up every month so visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn Coffee experience after the break Alan Quinn in his lighting studio OTB AM Yeah, Alan Quinlan in the house with Dan McDonald. Not sure you've ever worked together before. Look at the smile yeah, on their face. Think we've been I on. Think we have, yeah. yeah you think yeah. you have, you're not sure though. We've passed anyway. We've certainly yeah. passed, uh, yeah. Yeah, passed no. each other in her uh, from, he's probably hopping up out of Going the in and then going out. out. Yeah. 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 I do listen to him a lot though. What do you make of him? <laughs> he's all right. Yeah, he doesn't he's like rugby. All right. <laughs> always giving out about rugby. I don't have the rugby stock, I can't. How would you sell rugby to him as a sport, Quinny? I don't know. I have friends, heavy big GA fans down Tipperary that's uh, the only they're gone from the rugby since I retired you know they mm. would have kind of let on that they were into the rugby when I was playing and go to an odd match and then afterwards it's kind of they've lost all interest you know and they're giving out too much rugby on the back pages that's what Joe Hayes uh, always says to me the former <laughs> Tipperary yeah. hurler Joe's a great character legend and uh, <coughs> he's He's uh, he's always given out about um, too much rugby, too much rugby on the back pages. You know, where's the GA? But um, yeah, Dan is all right. But um, sure, look, you can convert people. We'll we'll have it in a few weeks, Johnny. We'll have uh, if Ireland stumble or or fail to get past the quarterfinals in the World Cup, the the anti rugby brigade will be out. Yeah, well. Okay, so what do you make of the game Saturday then? Because like, I suppose one um, one thing about rugby over the years has gotten so much more physical, and these warm up games are really a poison chalice. Like, so you look at um, the physical, like you, you you want to give fringe players a go. Um, let's see how Crowley gets on it out. Have Crowley's grand maybe, but like some of the players that um, are more upfront in terms of the forwards and that, it's dangerous. Um, what do we learn? Um. The reality here is, uh, I think, and Paul O'Connell said it last week in the press conference, everybody's going to play here. Um, are they showing their hands too much? No, they're not. I think it was it was bland at times on, on Saturday. Very effective. I think when you're leading 21-3 at half-time, um, <coughs> Italy's probably 
close to their strongest team, mm. whereas Ireland's was more or less a completely second string team, bar you know one or two players, obviously Doris in the forwards and Henshaw maybe in the back line. Um, otherwise, it's 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 a second string team, guys trying to impress. Um, I think the most important part of, of, of this run-in for, for Andy Farrell and the players is trying to get minutes under the belt and and also avoid injuries. We've seen historically from, you know, World Cups that there's always, um, there there has been always one or two players who haven't made it, the mm. cut. You just look at Italy at the weekend, they oh, two it's... of their best players, Riccioni at tight end. Um, I'm not sure what the update is with him, but Menoncello in the centre, who's really a wonderful like... player, it looked yeah. like his shoulder popped out. Mm. Fairly innocuously, his, ha- his hand was kind of out like str- I was watching like the weekend, like how does this even happen? Like? Um, I, would you believe... I saw it many, many years ago with Mike Prendergast, who's the Munster mm. system, Munster coach. Now, we played a pre-season friendly back in the earlier days of 2001, two or three, somewhere around then. Um, I was climbing forward at the back of a scrum. He kind of went in that position with his hand out like that and kind of barely touched the opposition player and I could, his shoulder just popped out. So it reminded me of that. So it's very unfortunate. Felix Jones had a bad injury. David Wallace, mm. Tommy O'Donnell... Uh, Jordan Murphy, I think, in previous campaigns. So um, playing Doris to the, that extent, like, and he's obviously amazing, but it's risky. Yeah, but you need to get minutes under the belt. Mm. So will he be? He may. He what his involvement will be in the next few weeks? I don't know. But Very what a player! He's a phenomenal it's player. The pace of him. Um, so many people online I see wrap him in cotton wool, wrap him yeah. in cotton wool. Um, is he? Where is he in our most important players? Um, He's so effective in everything he does with the ball and without the ball that he, he has an ability to come up. And to be fair, it's a hallmark of a lot of players in this Irish squad in the last year and a half, two years. Um, I keep going back to New Zealand last year because it just keeps coming to my memory mm. the whole time how impressive that second and third test um, was in New Zealand. Um, Caelan Doris had a quiet first game in, in, in Auckland. They were, you know, they were beaten pretty convincingly in the first game. There was a lot of in that game that was fixable, that it, New Zealand got a bit of fortune with some of the tries they scored. And I, I remember thinking, going out of Eden Park that night, thinking, Caelan Doris was a little bit quiet here. I was a bit disappointed because I, I'm a massive fan of his. Jesus, he he responded in 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 the second and third tests with you know, a pl- and I think Andy Farrell said that the other day. He's the kind of fellow who, if he makes a mistake, um, he just kind of doesn't let it dwell. He doesn't drop the head. Yeah, he, he nearly intensifies his next action, if you like. So I think if you're looking to a player who's matured and developed so well as a real leader in that team, and how important he is, as you're saying, um, you know yourself in sports, Johnny. If you make a mistake. That next five ten minutes can be really crucial. Um, some players take longer to kind of get themselves back in a game. I probably experienced that, where I kept you know running around thinking, "God, I've just knocked on the ball, or I've just missed a tackle." He, he gives you the impression that it's done. I'm going to make a big impact in the ne- right. my next action, and he's a wonderful player. On that note, what's Stockdale thinking after the missed tackle? Um. It's it's it looks bad. Yeah, and 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 again, it's. I felt so really sorry you for him. He played really well. Like. I think Andy Farrell and everybody wants him to show us what he can do, like he did before in two thousand and eighteen. 
the energy, the excitement, the enthusiasm to go forward um, and score tries. Um, I know you can't hang on to the past. Sometimes we do it, and that sometimes happens in sport as well. It's like a striker who, who scored 30 goals one season and then he's struggling for a couple of seasons and everyone he starts moving around clubs and people believe they can get that back. Jacob Stockdale is still a relatively young... You know, he's still 25, 26 maybe, is he? I'm not sure exactly now. Correct me um, on that one. But he's still a young player. Um, he's still a very, very talented player. 27 now, actually. 27. Yeah. Mm. But it's still re- relative, very, relatively young. Yeah, and he's... <laughs> well, it'd be easier to be yeah. younger than you know Keith. He's been around a long time. Mm. But you think that's kind of age, though, you, that you're really kind of mature and you've become... Um, You've a lot of experience as well, so talk to me about that though, because he, like if he pushes your man inside, basically, like he's kind of half done his job here. So he, he's really made a hames of the tackle, and one, he's one physically of, actually superior to him as well. One, one of one of Jacob's kind of mos or whatever you want to say. I wouldn't say problems or issues is that little bit of na- nastiness that you need. That little bit of. Now, James Lowe's missed tackles. You know, you mm-hmm. go back mm-hmm. two years ago over in Cardiff where he kind of came in off, made some bad reads. Yeah. But you just think James Lowe's on that left wing. That fended arm that's coming out there, James Lowe, you think, is kind of... he he's just has that determination that he's nearly breaking your man's arm to stop the fend, you know, when a guy's out trying to hand you off. And we would have trained like that. A lot of it was rugby league. Or if you're running at me and I, I put my hand on your chest... I remember Mike Ford who came in and trained us with Ireland from Rugby League was the first time the action was to hit down on the hand quickly because if you come with your chest presented you know I want to hand the guy off and it Mm. it gives you that little bit of momentum to get away so he he obviously went in a little bit high Um, the handoff Panny got the handoff on him and scores and you just think that that's one that's just it was kind of a bit of a one from the crowd that you go, oh no! But is it a good thing in the sense that he's? It's like, a bad thing for him home. in the match. No, it's a bad okay. thing for him in the match. He needed to make that tackle. Yeah. He needed to, you know, he needed to do everything in his power. However, you do it. Sometimes, and I say to players, if I'm coaching a young kid, sometimes tackle technique, everything goes out the window. You just jump on a player. You do something. You just make sure you make it. You wrap him somewhere. But let's not. Um, He'd go let's not hang. Yes, let's not hang him out to Better dry here. Jacob's talked. Keith Earls missed the tackle as well mm-hmm. and Manoncello. So for the you know, any Ulster listeners, um Keith Earls missed the tackle too. There were two bad missed tackles. Um there were two tackles that kind of took a little bit of air out of the performance, yeah. the kind of result. I never thought, Johnny, that we would see a performance here of free flowing rugby. It's 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 about getting minutes under the belt been pretty effective, <clears throat> pretty basic in the game plan. Ireland are not going to show their hand in the net, even against England and Samoa. They won't be showing their hand. Or Romania, probably not against Tonga. I think there'll be stuff held back here for Scotland and South Africa, the big games. Well, the biggest uh, thing for me was the outhead situation. I thought Crowley looked very much at home. He uh, looked assured. He looked assured. He had a few mistakes in him yep. and... Uh, Jacob Stockdale had a couple of mistakes that we mm. mentioned, but there were some very positive moments from Jacob Stockdale as well. I think there's a lot more in him, um, in, in Stockdale, and I hope that, you know, he looks back at his game and they do, you know, he gets a chance to do some stuff over in Portugal or in a training camp this week. Who's number um, two without half now? It's kind of unfair to kind of go suddenly, Jack Crowley. 
um, is is gone ahead of Ross Bourne. I think that's the perception there now a little didn't bit. Didn't harm his prospects. Ross Bourne needs to play the next game yeah. which, and start against England, which I'm, he probably will. Um, and he needs to kind of invigorate himself a small little bit. Given the ends to the season that both out halves had, um, Crowley finished on a very big high, obviously, in Munster's run to winning the URC. And there was a lot of big moments. But I think up to the semi-final, Jack, Jack Crowley was a little bit... The two performances over in South Africa in, in this round 17 and round 18, he came off in both those games for Ben Healy. So, you know... It, you just have to be careful in the way we propel these guys. I think Jack Crowley looked very assured. He's still really young. I think he's a confidence player, and I think there was a lot of good moments in the match on Saturday. I think his ceiling, and I've said it before, is higher maybe than, than Ross Burns. Ross Burns is, is, is a very, very good player. So I think it's intriguing the next couple of weeks, and it will, they'll probably go... Um, go hard at it in training, but of course, Kieran Frawley came in at fly half mm-hmm. the other day, and I think that was that was an uh, um, that was interesting, exciting though. prospect as well to see two of them because Crowley can be a very effective full back, and there's a lot of people talking about you know if something happened, Hugo Keenan, Jimmy O'Brien played there at the weekend, and he got a bang in the shoulder, and Jack Crowley goes back and plays there. So um, there was that moment as well at the end where they just showed come to the end of the game, they showed all the subs kind of on the sideline, looking on. You're like, Jesus, some talented players there. Like, and you're, I mean, Keenan, but when you think of what Andy Farrell has done, I do, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe Dan knows this as a yeah. rugby nerd. How yeah. many players? Um, Andy Farrell is capped in the last couple of years. The number is Depth pretty is big. Depth is insane, though. Yeah. What's, yeah. What, sorry, about to say, what, I wonder what the dynamic is like in a group at this stage. Like between, because I know there's all different battles going on between like to be a starting member. But I see Andy Farrell is like naming his final squad later than some of the other coaches. There's like what eight nine lads are going to be cut there, and I'm sure I'm not sure if it's something that you speak about, but it's probably the unspoken thing that everyone's aware of. There's a call coming at some stage yeah, and, and some is, of you yeah. are gone. Yeah, and I remember those calls on a couple of occasions, in, in uh, particularly in um, you know, 2003, going to Australia. Um, the excitement of waiting for that call when you're kind of mm. one of those players who's mm. in that, maybe from the bracket from 20... Three out of that 31, yeah. 32. You're one of those seven, eight, nine, ten players. Um, on two occasions, I probably was. 2003, I get in there. It's incredible. Probably um, 2007 was was the most competitive for me. And again, you know, waiting on the fringes. So the one thing that would worry me about this World Cup is... Uh, <laughs> It's only from what happened in 07, and maybe we're all tarnished a little by that, the players who were there. Paul was there, of course. He, he He's coaching now. Is If I asked you to pick the Ireland, either of you to pick the Irish team now and the Irish, maybe the Irish 23, even if you weren't that into rugby, you'd, you'd go very, very close. That happened in 07 when basically... 15 players were kept home from the tour to Argentina. They were literally kept home and they were kind of wrapped in cotton wool a little bit. And um, obviously um, those players uh, knew that they were going to start. They knew that they were going to be picked. And That's then a it, problem. And then it was a case for... Well, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's it's a ideal, problem. Though. I don't think it's a problem. It'll be an excuse if we, if we come unstuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... Um, 
you know, they just have to be mindful of the fact that most of the players know unless something goes drastically wrong or the form really dips that they're picked on the team. So to answer your question, mm. that, I think that's very uh, astute from Andy Farrell. He's actually dragging this out a little bit. Mm. Okay. He mm. probably is, this is probably something they're mindful of that most people could pick this Irish starting team now. So because he's waiting till after Samoa, he's probably keeping them all on their best behaviour. Yeah. In other words, okay. yeah. don't and drop your standards here because I have my mind fully made up yet, which... You know, you pick the team now. England announced it yesterday. New Zealand did. South Africa announcing today. It's a couple of weeks out. Fellas could get a little bit. Ah, I can ease off a little bit in the fitness now. We can we can go for a few pints on Tuesday night, or we can sneak out of the hotel, whatever. I'm not saying that it happens, but I think that's probably yeah. yeah. It's, it's a good question. Yeah. Like the out of situation. Like how how is Sexton relating to all these other guys who are basically trying to not only get his spot. I would imagine he's helping him. Yeah, he I probably would imagine is. He's no, helping so him. Like to tell Crowley in a situation like Saturday, but there's a lot of pressure on Crowley because if he flops here, it really undermines him. Like, and this is the problem. I know you're playing Italy, but Crowley has to at least do a seven out of ten. Here, um, I got to bring you to this uh, Irish examiner, Brendan O'Brien. If I don't get selected because I just play twelve, that's just what it is. McCluskey, talk to me. Um, it's a difficult position because if you um, and and um, I think Stuart McCluskey has done very well. Mm. Um, going back to last November, um, started against South Africa, picked up an injury, came back for Australia. Um, who's going to be picked here? Is he going to bring four centres? That's going to be the, the the intriguing part here. Steve Bortwick has brought an extra forward. I think he's gone 18 forwards, is he? And f- 15 backs? I'm mm. not sure. I, I'll have to get the numbers right again. Um, have a look at it again. But you've got Bundyaki, Robbie Henshaw, Stuart McCluskey, Gary Ringrose. They're kind of the four that have been involved in the last number of years. Obviously, McCluskey has come into that mix. Jamie Osborne is the other centre there. So there's five centres there. Are they going to bring three or four? I think they're going to bring three centres. And those three centres are Aki, Henshaw and, and Gary Ringrose. It's quite agonising, isn't it? Because some of the back three can probably move into the centre and it's it's Keith Earls and Jimmy O'Brien can go in and play outside centre. So... Crowley can play at 12 as well. Um, so I think Andy Far- my, I'd say Mike Cat, obviously, this is his call. I think he'll look at that. Whereas if you, Bundyaki, Robbie Henshaw, Stuart McCluskey and Gary Ringrose, there's probably only one out of that four that can go on to the, into the back three and that's Gary Ringrose. Um, so it's, it's a difficult one um, and it's going to be a, a tough a tough uh, decision but it's going to be hard if Stuart McCluskey doesn't make it because I think he's shown he's shown a lot in the last kind of 12 months and what he's done but it's pretty competitive there um, right across the board and I think he's he's someone that unfortunately could miss out on it um, the first game as well since just after St. Patrick's Day um, and also the first time Ireland are playing only three World Cup warm-up games they have that Portugal camp um, so Farrell is basically saying we don't really need that many games and um that's because you've Wait, got Rom- Romania yeah. to, 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 and with all due respect, yeah. you know what I mean? They can, they can, uh, you know, move up the gears in, in that situation. South Africa won the World Cup last time with a lot of games and going pretty earlier than anyone to mm. Japan. Um, look, it's about, I've said this about pre-seasons. It's if, if you go well and things go right, it's the best, the best decisions were made. If, if we're analysing this, 
And no matter what happens in the next in the World Cup, Johnny, if Ireland get out of the group, you're playing France and New Zealand. You're kind of flicking a coin. Um, obviously, if Ireland are bringing brilliant form into a quarter final, if they're there, because Scotland are going to have a big say in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you're getting more enthusiastic and you're kind of really breaking it down then and saying, well, this is, they're playing well or they're, this is their big strength. I think where, where, where they'll, they'll, they'll be in a better position this time is I think they'll be quite calm about the challenge uh, in a sense that they'll, they'll have confidence and belief in themselves. But again, it's on the day, you know, France are going to have so much momentum with it being over there. New Zealand, what we've seen of them in the last couple of weeks, um, it's kind of frightening prospect for, 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 where, where are they if at? possible if Ireland are there. Um, Briefly, no, because you're like, people have this, it's in France, so it's kind of between Ireland and France, we have an edge over New Zealand, but clearly it's not that straightforward. It's not, no. New Zealand, um, I think they showed a couple of weeks ago for 20 minutes against New, uh, South Africa mm. in, 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 in the Rugby Championship first weekend. It was phenomenal for the first 20, 25 minutes of that game. So they, they, they can do that. They can bring that pace, that intensity, that quality, um, they had a bad 2022, um, you know, culminating in that series loss to Ireland. The rugby championship did a couple of bad losses, um, but they're capable. And I think you can see there's a stamp of Joe Schmidt in this team now. They're far, I think, and I said it after the tour in New Zealand, they, they kind of rely on this brilliant X factor to rip teams apart. It didn't work in the second and third test for Ireland because Ireland were so um, stable and connected defensively and, and and stopped them at source. And then they didn't really kind of know what to do. Mm. Now they seem to have great timing in their passes. Their breakdown is really effective again. It's, it, there's Joe Schmidt all over this team. So I think he's obviously had time to bet in there. And um, you couldn't rule New Zealand out of uh, in any game. But I think even more so now what we've seen in the last couple of weeks from them. Thanks for your time. Cheers, lads. Uh, Off the Ball is coming to the Cork uh, Podcast Festival. Join us on 27th of August. Uh, the Cork Opera House special guest, Jimmy Barry Murphy. More guests to be announced very soon. Don't miss out on what's going to be a brilliant night in the heart of the Rebel County. For tickets, go to www.corkpodcastfestival.ie forward slash off dash dash forward slash off dash the dash ball forward slash speaking to Cork this always reminds me of the story of uh, your man ringing the fella from the county board as the internet was just getting going and he's like you find it there on the website and the fella from the county board goes what, what's the address and your man goes www and he goes hang on how many w's <laughs> <laughs> speaking of Cork we have Sarah Donovan standing by yeah honest question Sarah Dan and I want the answer to this is she actually from Cork <laughs> I mean, clearly, there's something. She, she must have a mother from like Mayo or something. Doesn't want the serial winners from Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> Just doesn't know Ash or three goals, two goals, whatever. I don't know what happened there. Well, Saint Vincent's will will claim her. Oh, um, I think they had a. Yeah, we might have some uh, dodgy uh, Wi-Fi. Is that Cork, Cork Wi-Fi? You're gonna Cork Wi-Fi. Why would you say is she from Cork? Huh? Why would you say she's not from Cork? Because she's too modest, like. 
Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? The Cork people, they're, they're, they don't lack confidence. Though. I thought you were on about... call them there, like, I'm only here because no, I know. The, like. well, how do you know someone's from Cork? Like, they tell, they tell you. That yeah, type of thing. Exactly. Cork there's, there's, an, there's an element of that, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> someone's from Cork, they tell you. <laughs> but, like, yeah. there, is, there is an element of that, but, like... I mean, Nobody knows you're from Loud. Oh, like, this is, seems to be your recurring point, yeah. This is it. This seems to be your recurring point. Um, but, we're um, trying to get Sarah back. There have a lot of issues in Cork at the moment involving Wi-Fi, obviously. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Like, I mean, are you suggesting that all Cork people are just in your face? then about their talent I don't really get your point here you've met it a couple of times um, I think it's extraordinary that somebody might get a hat-trick and uh, just kind of went over her head like um, but that's that's is, her job Roy Keane would advocate that what are you there to do I'm there to score that's goals job. yeah that's, that's what she's job. Not Sarah he's Dan is channeling his inner Roy Keane here well look actually I read Emer Ryan's book at the weekend The, the Grass Ceiling and I think it might explain a lot about the Cork people. Uh, she's from the Midlands, obviously. She's from Moneygall. And she described the Cork dressing room as far more flamboyant than the Moneygall <laughs> dressing room. Uh, these are the bars girls in the city. So she used the word flamboyant. So I'm going to go with that. That's very um, complimentary, we'll say. Uh, Dan, can you? Uh, what did you make of the Camogie spectacle? Big crowd, um, obviously... I guess it's they're trying to get on to the to the ladies level, but this is potential. I think. Well, no, like we spoke to Sarah about it on on Thursday. I think it was. Um, I mean, the crowd is is upwards of thirty thousand for the first time since two thousand and seven. I was just thinking about that as well. Like, I suppose you look at the, it is compared with the football final, but I think as Sarah mentioned it, you've often had Dublin or Mead involved. Generally, there's more travelling involved. I know the weekend event there's other finals on as well too so it's not just about two teams um, but um, it always strikes me as odd that there's that discrepancy between the crowd figures but I suppose geography can explain a bit and maybe there's more um, politics around promotion and stuff that Sarah's way better place to talk about than, than either of us but it seems to be a, a step in the in the right direction at least Yeah I I, I was I, I thought she'd be delighted with the crowd Sarah considering I think I, again Camogie's really at a at its infancy here in terms of where it could be I think It's niche Yeah That's a, it, It's niche It's I suppose it played in less places well than hurling is and we talk about the hurling struggles all of the time so you only have three teams who've consistently competed in the competition since say 2012 uh, Water- it was Waterford's first time appearing in, in the final since 1945 um, other teams had failed like Wexford were the last team to get there in 2012 and since then it's been Cork, Kilkenny, Galway Cork, Kilkenny, Galway and the second teams of Cork, Kilkenny, Galway kept appearing in the intermediate final which meant the numbers were halved again you know this weekend we had six different counties involved so you'd six different chances to get as many people there as you could so I thought they did really, really well to get over 30,000 people there this weekend. And hats off to them for that. Um, Commenting from Colin McCarthy, uh, Camogie should be on the day before the hurling. A ticket to the hurling final should get you into the Camogie um, and they can get better attendances up, make a weekend of it. Um, what do you make of that? I, Dan, I was saying to you last week, the League of Ireland doesn't get the same questions about why their showpiece competition is only at 30,000. What's the fixation on it? Hmm. Mm. Like if the League of Ireland's FAI competition, which is you know the the best competition in the country, is only hitting thirty thousand, 
is this an is this an issue that we're making more of an issue of? I, I, I sorry, Dan, go ahead. No, no, I was well, listen. My point is, and I said it Sarah last week. It's more to me. I think there's too much of a focus on the one day. Mm-hmm. There's a big that's a big part of the Irish sport mm-hmm. uh, mentality is to have the one day attendance. And like personally, for me, even like you know the ladies' football final, say we'll get a big figure, and as always, well, this is the the biggest event in Europe that day. I'm looking at that going, okay, that's that's great, but you've done a big promotion for today, you know, and like you know running bus and that's brilliant but to me surely it's about more consistency and stuff like that like, like League of Ireland wise for example the best thing this year is the attendances are up week on week all of the time yeah. and like the cup final yeah sometimes we think yeah they should fill it by doing more promotion around that event but I don't know how I feel sometimes about tagging something on to well, a weekend I think you need to make it the main event of the weekend rather than making it the undercard to something else. Yeah, like, absolutely. That, that would be my opinion. There could be different opinions. Well, on well that. Sarah, yeah. when I'm watching, uh, so I went to highlights last night at the Camogie, and it's the same thing in Ireland, except it's amplified. How do you get this sport out uh, to to all corners of Ireland? Because Camogie could be exceptional across all corners of Ireland. And then I'm thinking, like, what has this done for Waterford Camogie in the sense that it's an absolute obliteration? The first half kind of went against them. Um, d- d- does it? You know, it wasn't it wasn't the showcase that you wanted in terms of that competitiveness. The Camogie Association are at fault here, right? And I'd be very critical of that. They didn't seed the competition. Uh, it was last year two uh, groups of six, with you know the top four coming out, and it was seeded. Uh, this year it was three groups of four. Waterford were in the third group. We'll say they trounced Offaly, Limerick, and Antrim. Mm-hmm. And they came into a semi-final and beat a very fancy tip team in horrible conditions in Nolan Park. And I will say to Dan's point, there were seven and a half thousand people in Nolan Park for the both semi-finals, which adds to your point. You know, it's not just the showpiece that was getting the big numbers, but they beat tip by a point. Tip were devastated because they genuinely thought they were in the final, I think. And then they go into the final and Grace Walsh made a great point on the show on Sunday night. There was no experience. None of the players in that Waterford team had any of experience of playing in a senior All-Ireland final in Croke Park. Of the Cork team, 12 players had All-Ireland medals already. Mm. The Camogie Association, if they had seeded the competition, wouldn't have had that pairing. But then they wouldn't have had 30,000 people in Croke Park. So were they looking for the numbers or were they looking for the quality? And the blame lies with them. Uh, on, on Cork themselves, obviously, um, it was a hell of a performance. Not to mention Amy. Um, all of like all of the Cork team can say more or less like they, was, they were dominant from start to finish. Um, just looking at so you've Liam Cronin and Michelle O'Connor coming in, maybe credited with change of form. Where did this happen from their league sort of performances, and um, how did how did they actually peak at the right time? I suppose. So they've lost to Galway pretty much consistently over the last number of years. Galway were identified as their bogey team and in the league final this year they had a chance I suppose to to put that to bed mm. right but they didn't go well in Croke Park. If you were to watch the game in Croke Park on, on Sunday and the game in Croke Park on Easter weekend two different completely different games and a completely different style of play from Cork. They were overcarrying the ball they were holding up the ball in the delivery zones their inside line was absolutely starved of ball in that league final. Galway incredibly well set up defensively and every time the ball went in and it was taking too long to go in the backs were coming out with the ball fast forward to this weekend and Cork's distribution was 
outstanding, but not just from Hannah Looney, who had 18 possessions. It was Maeve Callan. It was uh, Izzy O'Regan. It was Laura Tracy. It was a complete performance from Cork. The amount of ball that Katrina Mackey and Amy O'Connor got. Amy O'Connor had 10 possessions and she scored 3-7. Mackey had 11 possessions, uh, hit two points, but she assisted in the two goals. Massively unselfish play from Mackey, but 4-10 from the inside full forward line with Sir McCartan uh, talking in with 1-1. Talk to me about Sarkin McCartan as well, just about this this remarkable down uh, kind of background as well, which is probably bridging a 44-year gap here. Yeah, well, with her dad, obviously famous uh, down footballer, she was coming to Cork for placement and uh, Eagle Eyes in Cork recognised the name and uh, parachuted her into, into the bars in Cork and you know, did, they didn't waste time parachuting her into the Cork setup. And I suppose I've played down over the years uh, with Dublin and with Cork, actually, uh, in All-Ireland finals. And there's a pocket in Ulster that really loves its camogie. Mm. So you've got Neve Mallon as well from, from uh, down, would be very similar to Beth Carton in the amount of work she gets through in games. So real quality in that down setup. So for one of down's uh, players to come to Cork, uh, Cork were quickly on on getting her involved in the squad. And you could see when she celebrated her goal on Sunday, uh, what it meant to her. And I suppose how she's been enveloped by the Cork setup and, and how she's been welcomed. Where do Watford go from here and... Like for Sean Power, like what do you say in the dressing room after that? Because um, it's so so deflating. The nineteen point loss, lads. It's I suppose from from last week. I I don't know. Did you sense my nervousness last mm. week, or Dan? You might mm. have. I said six, but I was afraid that it was going to be more. You know, uh, I I said that Cork would win by at least six, and winning by nineteen was on the cards last week because I suppose defensively. They, they didn't have the same quality in their defensive six. Individually, very good Camogie players, but they didn't have the experience of Kilkenny. They didn't have the experience of Galway. That's been built up over the course of 10 years, you know. So you can't just put that into a, a team in the space of three months. And they lost Vicky Faulkner after two and a half minutes. And I was saying, you know, Iona Heffernan, who was on the bench, I don't even think she'd gotten around to the idea that she was going to be in after two and a half minutes. So all of a sudden she's parachuted in to mark, you know, one of the Cork forwards. Amy O'Connor sees a chink of of, of breathing space because Vicky Faulkner's gone and, she, and she's a ball over the bar in, in the next exchange. Everything went wrong for Waterford, but ultimately they wouldn't have been fast enough and they weren't prepared enough. Mm. And that goes with the camogie. I, I was in Mallow yesterday at the races, so I got the train home and it was lovely to see all the red and white flags and I was waiting maybe 45 minutes to train, so I went into the waiting room and did all these photos of past um, Cork winners of all Ireland's and it was going back to like Mulcahy and Jimmy Barry Murphy and you had then the camogie players as well and it was really cool to see and it wouldn't be the uh, examiner without Rebel Rain, drought over, are Cork now set to dominate camogie? And this is always a question... Um, after obviously de- demolition like that, but it's not as straightforward as that, Sarah, either. And like people, you know, like Kenny and Galway and Tipper watching at home saying, right, that's not going to happen to us next year. Yeah, but th- this Cork team hadn't won since 2018. And mm. I know Hannah Looney described it as a famine in Cork, but that group had done, you're looking at 100 sessions a year, right? For six years, they'd done 100 sessions. They were up on 600 sessions and they hadn't won the, the, the trophy that they were that they were looking for. It It, it could be, you know, domination for the next six years or those girls who've spent six years trying to get back to to the Hogan stand could decide I've, I, I don't have enough to give. Yeah. Like there will there will be an erosion of the panel 
in some way, the Cork were very lucky to have Katrina Mackey and Pamela, Pamela Mackey back in the squad because they've been around the squad far beyond, you know, the, that group uh, that's there now. You know, the, their career spans over a decade. So swings and roundabouts, they took them so much to get here and win. It, it may not be that, that, you know, they'll all stick around in the next couple of years. So I suppose the only other thing that I'll say to that is the bench that Cork were able to bring on you know, they've 20, I suppose 20 or 25 players that are at that level that Watford aren't at. So Cork certainly have an opportunity here if they if they stay in and bed in. Maybe they'll get a three in a row, but we haven't done it. Dana's young daughter, and I imagine she's going to have plenty of options, plenty of options as to what sport she wants to play as she gets older. How, like, how does the association sell this sport? Because I, I, was, I was just looking at this game on Sunday. It is so marketable in so many ways and really, really unique but it's it's so peripheral like so like it has to start from it has to start from somewhere and it, it's it's a big philosophical question it's a big organizational question for the organization but this sport has to be sold because it should have so much going for it so the Camogie association and the ladies football are incredibly lucky that from the period of about 5 until 10 or 11 the mini leagues comprises both boys and girls mm. so once girls are, you know, in, into a GA club structure. For the first five or six years, it's run by the GA and they have full exposure. They have all of the same resources. And then it gets tricky after age 10 when the girls have to branch off because then you're relying on coaches, you're relying on club resources. And it just depends on how strong the Camogie club or the ladies football club or whether there's a one club model in the club. Um, that's the point where the Camogie and ladies football have to step in. And, and really look at how they're coaching it. I had a text from uh, a, an old colleague of mine from Nave Marnos yesterday. Um, there was a blitz run uh, in in Dublin and he said brilliantly well organised, but it was all men, all coaches, mm. all male coaches, mm. all male managers with the groups of girls. And we're incredibly lucky that, you know, dads like Dan are going to pick up uh, the, I suppose, work with their daughters and and, you know, coach them to be, athletes and, and sportswomen, but the Camogie Association really needs to drive this in terms of getting players and former players back to the pitch and, you know, involved in coaching. So it's a very, very hard thing to do, but I think you have to see women on the pitch, on the sidelines for it really to grow. Where are you living in Dublin again, sir? I moved to Cork. Oh, you're back in Cork, was, yeah. I'm back in Cork, yeah, but I was with, I was managing Marnogues, uh, Nate Marnogues last year in Dublin for a year. Lovely. I thought you were part of the uh, the big uh, move to Dublin there. Well, listen, thanks for your time. Thank you very much, guys. We have a few, a few live comments just uh, I want to give. Uh, Michael, I passed by Lansdowne on Sunday. A lot of dads with daughters going to the game, which is great to see. Yeah, it's funny. That kind of gets to even what we're talking about there in the Camogie. Ed- Edward Freeman. Liverpool beat Man City in the charity shield last year. It didn't work out too bad for City. Fergus Kyo. Orange has a negative connotation. It tends to mean badish. Arsenal and Ireland did grand, but shouldn't be in the rankings at all. Um, the carpet man sending out a Mickey Mouse team at the Aviva is exactly what those fans deserve who don't have the same passion of LOI teams. It's actually good to bring you in on this, JD, because I know you're not going to relate to that. I Like... I, Relate to that in what way? Good morning. Well, that's. I mean, Hi, if if you're JD, JD's in the house, um, if you're not 
brought up in a kind of a I was brought up following Liverpool as were 99% of kids in Ireland were brought up following English teams Yes, and, and then you are indoctrinated as I was and most kids became Liverpool or Man United fans as it was and you can't say oh don't be going watching a Mickey Mouse friendly because if I were a kid I would have loved to see Liverpool in Dublin Well it's all that in minutes isn't it? Mm. I was uh, out of work here on Sunday and I was going to Malahide and I had to wait for about four trains to go past and all the trains were full. It was like the tube in London mm. of Man United fans going up to the north side of Dublin and then I got on the train. Once Are you saying like full. London's full of Manchester United fans as well? <laughs> yeah, it probably is. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dig in its own way. Uh, yeah. so, no, but it, so it's real and like the streets are full of Man United fans, so it is real. Yeah, no, no one's, I don't think anyone's denying it's real. I think, the, to me, the talking point of the weekend is not denying the sport it's there. It's just the misfortune that they, they didn't get Value the for money experience yeah. that they believed they were paying for. Now, I would make the point, I still think if it was advertised as like uh, a Manchester United team is coming out, it's going to be Manchester United selection. It still would have sold out, yeah. in my opinion. But at least, you know people would have known and I think maybe the pricing might have been different as we know it's different it's expensive to do a lot of things in Dublin now and you saw people like a lot of comments of people who spent like 300 euro on Sunday you know as a family spending a lot of money and you want to get a sense that you're getting what you thought you were question paying. for you did the FAI have any influence in that game well, but like, could you could you not? Definitely, I get, get a flat fee. Could, it, could Man United? Could you not like suggest it could be a League of Ireland team against Man United? I don't think that would have made a difference, no. really. I mean, I think the broader issue is of the 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 marquee team that you bring. How it works is the FAI will get a flat fee and from promoters, and the promoters will get the, the talent. You know, they will they, they the the FAI get the fee, the VV Stadium, and then um, you know you bring in the teams. So same with Celtic and Wolves. The week before it was relocated from Korea for some reason. Um, um, but but clearly sometimes with those games there's terms and conditions and my point would be like when uh, when United were in the States you know, there would have been certain obligations you would feel at certain places and, and Dublin while it remains a massive hotbed or Ireland remains a massive hotbed um, it's not a place where you know it's it's sort of they can go we're in Oslo this weekend last year they can go somewhere else um, and it's not as if there's going to be big demands you have to play your stars in Dublin but the organisers could try and put that in they could try and yeah. say as part of the contract for this game you have to bring X amount of you know first teamers but but clearly that didn't happen in this instance and I think a week out from the season it's probably look I understand also that, they played a game 24 yeah, hours exactly, earlier yeah exactly which, which was announced subsequent yeah. to the Dublin one now yeah. again they played that split weekend last year they did exactly the same thing they played Saturday Sunday so I suppose the, the form was there like it was easy to see how this would happen um, but but clearly when it comes I think to me the issue is more with how the game was sold as opposed to it's not Bre- saying Manchester United did anything wrong it's briefly, not uh, that Briefly JD Lee McDwyer Bowie Maguire was pathetic uh, granted it was mostly kids I just think he is almost pantomime villain at this stage he will Move on as Ten Hag has made it obvious that he isn't wanted. If you are an adult at Lansdowne Road and you spent some of your weekend booing Maguire, like, I don't know, I just find this absolutely pathetic. What do you make of it? Well, the world's gone toxic anyway. Toxic? Like, uh, what uh, What are you uh, doing? Like? Well, you know, people are booing David, David Goff. Dublin fans are booing David Goff at the All-Ireland Final. We, don't, we just won the All-Ireland Final. Mm. And booing the referee. So, I don't know. People just need to cop themselves on generally. He's a human being as well. Like, yeah, he's a human yeah, being. And, yeah. like, what, what example is this to kids? Like, that's, you're literally saying you can just mock a guy in front of, like, he's a human being. I don't care what money is on. Yeah. He's living a life that's not... But also, not, he's at work. He's at work, yeah. I, I just find this, like... I don't know. It's so sad. It's so, so sad. Um, What is in the news?
Uh, well, we got the Women's World Cup kicking off. The core last 16 final matches, Colombia, Jamaica at nine o'clock. And then we got France against Morocco at noon. England await the winners of the Colombia, Jamaica game. Uh, Liga Ireland first division yesterday, Galway beating Treaty United 3 0. It's interesting that second to fifth will play off. So our own Shane Keegan. Having a great season. You know, they drew two all at Kerry. Now, Waterford are going to finish second. They beat Wexford 1-0. But they're not guaranteed a place in the Premier Division next season. Uh, Harry Kane, the sub-bapper continues there. Uh, Spurs turning down an 86 million bid from Byron for Kane. What do you think will happen? I really have no idea. I think you probably at this stage you probably stay. Like, it's a week out from the season. And he wants to start the season with the club he's going to be at. Do you want to... Like, remember you, you reached a point last year you were like, I just let him go. I'm just, I know? reached that point. Let him, let him, just yeah. let him fly yeah. away. Yeah. You're still there. I would be, yeah. Okay. I think he deserves our, our blessing and, and to go, but it feels like... It's, it's a gamble for Spurs either way. You, you keep him, you could get in the Champions League next season. You sell him, you get the 80 million, but you don't have time really to buy players. Uh, West Ham understood to have tabled 50 million for Maguire and Scott McTominay from Man United. Romeo Lavia, Liverpool are trying to get him. They've had a third bid turned down from Southampton. Kieran McGee needs to stay on, at Armagh for a 10th season. And Brian Dewar and Fergal Owen are going to stay on in Tyrone for another three years, it seems. Yeah, wow. Uh, which is a vote of confidence to them. Look, they won the All-Ireland in 2021, but they've had a couple of disappointing seasons, Tyrone. And we have Ross Common racing there at half five this evening. Thank you, JD. All right, lads. Sports speaking to you on Saturday. Yeah, it's all back, Dan. It is. Yeah, it's back. Just um, in a different order. JD different can call the shots and, and you can do the links. A and new you, order. Yeah. yeah. You're very comfortable in that chair, I have to say. It's, yeah, it's, it's swinging around here. Yeah, it's, um, making it warm. For JD. Yeah, there we go. Back on, what, five days' time? Yeah, it's hard to believe it's back. Andy Mitten, are you ready for the new season? Yeah, looking forward <laughs> to it. Just like, can you make it sound any more exciting than that? I'm still jet lagged. I know you won't <laughs> believe me. And I know I know I was. We have a lot of first world problems on this show today. People spending too much money being jet lagged, but you are tired. Get get your small violin out. I'm sure you're interested, but that's it. But yeah, I woke up at ten past three this morning and couldn't get back to sleep. I thought that going to Dublin at the weekend and having a few pints of Guinness would sort of reset me, and it sort of did. But yeah, I'm back to square one now. But what? I am looking forward to it genuinely, and I'll be Old Trafford on Monday night for Manchester United's first game against Wolves, and I'm pretty optimistic. Uh, so if you if you uh, have insomnia at three in the morning, do you what what's your tactic here do you like force yourself to try to sleep or do you end up like everyone just going on their phone and making it worse it's complicated by two young kids who Mm. like getting up in the night and I don't really have a tactic because I don't normally have this I've not had jet lag for four or five years and I'm surprised how much it hit me but I'm not the only one some of the other people who flew back from the States last week are, are also struggling with it so I'm just hoping that We'll get normalised. I've got to finish off the first United we stand of the season by today. and I'm on deadline and, well, I've got to do it. I've got no other choice. I can't sell the printer that I'm jet-lagged and can't send it to print, can I? So I've got to be done. I'm hoping I'm going to tie myself out and then go to bed at one point and just sleep for eight hours. That's my dream. How was the Dublin experience then from your perspective, Andy? I know like there's been a debate here. Terry Lot some disappointed Irish fans, you know, who, who weren't expecting the the split friendlies. Although I know Manchester United did the same thing last year, but just the maybe the timing of announcements maybe jarred with some people. I mean, how was the the occasion for you? For me personally, I loved it. We did a, a gig at the Sugar Club on Saturday night, and that went well. I like the city a lot. 
I like the Guinness. Found a good pub called Hartigan's, I think. Oh, what an absolute banger. That's a good find. Banger. Absolute banger. You'll never want to go anywhere else. Uh, and you I went to the Sugar it. Club anyway. And Yeah, and a group of um, gentlemen were just sat around a table just jamming with their instruments. And I just thought, this is magnificent. And I spoke to one of them. He said, where are you from? I said, I'm from, from Manchester. And he said, give me five minutes. And then he started playing Matchstick Men out of, in tribute to L.S. Lowry from Salford. And <laughs> it, it, it was just just wonderful. And There's a real said, connection, though, I, with Northern got, English lads and Irish people. It just works. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, I was, I was with some friends as well. And we, we had a great time. You're pretty famous off the ball, you know. Loads of people come up to me. Well, and yeah. We see you on off the ball. We know that. So yeah, I, I, I realise that you don't get that when you're walking around um, San Diego. But the <laughs> point about the about fans being unhappy, I wouldn't just say some. I got it non-stop. So yeah. I stood on Lansdowne mm. Road selling United We Stand before the game against Lons on Saturday. I got wind of the team and I tweeted, "It's going to be a very strong team," and that just set people off because. People then thought that it wouldn't be a strong team the following day at Dublin. And I, I quickly gathered that all the substitutes from Old Trafford would be starting in Dublin, but that didn't appease fans. And I didn't understand why. People had paid a lot of money for their tickets at the Aviva. The game had sold out quickly. And after that had happened, United announced another friendly at Old Trafford. So a lot of people were on my case on social media to the point that I was going to tweet out and say, look... I don't pick the team. I'm with you. I hear what you're saying. And then stood on Lansdowne Road, absolutely hammered it down. So if you want another similarity with Northern England, it was raining, then it was sunny. We sold out of United We Stands in no time. Brilliance of me, Manchester United fans in, in real life. So you brought over the you brought over the um fans in everything. Yeah, and I was worried. I was worried on two levels. One People told me that Irish people don't carry cash anymore and our card readers don't work in the Republic of Ireland. And two, we're allowed to sell anywhere as a printed publication. But in Dublin, I'm told that you need special street traders licenses. Nah, nah, don't mind that. We grand. <laughs> so, I was, so I was worried. So we brought copies over and the police, the police were fine with us. And we sold them in no time. We could have sold four times as many as, as we brought. And I, I really enjoyed it. It, it. So much interaction goes on online. So to stand on the street and have people coming up to you. One man came up to me with a copy of Issue 3 from February 1990. Oh, wow. How wonderful was that? It was just just brilliant. And uh, Dale, a United fan from Clonmel, he came up and, and helped us sell. So that was good. But, you know, 90% of people were saying how disappointed they were with with the expected lineup, And I think they're entitled to have that opinion. But yeah. the Aviva is, is, is a top stadium. And I was actually going to fly back to Bilbao with the, with the Athletic Bilbao team. That had all been arranged and it changed at, at the last minute. So... The vast majority of the crowd were Manchester United fans. I saw the headlines about Harry Maguire being booed. I sat in the West Stand and I wasn't in the media. And I actually thought he got more support than okay. just where I was. And the the game, it wasn't the best game ever. It had an exciting finish. Um, it's not for me to say whether it was it was good value or not for the people who were there. But it illustrates 
just how popular Manchester United are in Dublin and the Republic of Ireland to sell that big stadium out so quickly. And when I was looking at that stadium, and I have been before, and when I was seeing the stadiums on the US tour and thinking, Old Trafford, I really love it, but you know, there's no leg room in comparison to here. The architecture is not as good a, a, as here. So I've absorbed information on, on all different levels. Ten Hag came, he brought his team. Uh, athletic club were always going to be technically good as well. Look, it wasn't the best game ever, but I still came away from it, touched by the enthusiasm and the passion of Manchester United fans I came across. What that, age are you, Andy? Riding feeling. What age are you now? 49. 49. So Dan and I are, shall we say, the other side of... We're in our 40s now. We're actually all in our 40s. 40s we're, yeah. we're 40. The, the level of Premier League, like, saturation when I was a kid is phenomenal. And this is, like, this is still a thing where Manchester United can sell out that quickly. And Manchester United was, um, when I was a kid, was... Uh, like Eric Cantona was possibly almost like and Roy Keane these are the biggest personalities in sport when I was a kid and it still exists Dan and these are I don't know it's Man United is still a massive massive thing no it is no, and listen and we, we spoke about poor Andy come on let's not have the same the same discussion again I think like just the disappointment for the fans at the weekend was even I think the game in Old Trafford on Saturday was priced in a very different way mm-hmm. they made a big deal of it um, and as I said I mentioned I knew people who actually flew over you know to that to that, and it worked out better but it still doesn't matter like I, I think if there was another game announced in Dublin in the morning it would still sell out um, even if people might be a, some people might be a little bit more guarded um, about maybe wanting to know a little bit more about who might possibly play. But there's no denying that great love, like the great love that exists. You know, I just think, you know, I would have said some of the fans travelling from outside in Dublin, from outside of Dublin, would nearly be better putting that money towards the trip to Manchester in future, you know, unless there's guarantees around these games. But look, you can't tell people, maybe loads of people that were there, despite that, still had a very good time, even if they were very disappointed travelling up. But I suppose the bigger picture, Andy, is a week out from the season. How is the fan base feeling generally about where things are headed? Okay. I think they're backing the manager. They're satisfied with the signing so far. The attention has switched more to possible, probable outgoings now. Manchester United need money and spent a lot on the three players who've signed uh, so far. Wolves at home, Manchester United really should be should be winning that game. The season starts slowly. It's, it's a game per week as opposed to two per week, which we saw pretty much from after the World Cup finished. So there's a game at Wolves, there's a game against Forest, against um, Tottenham. I, I spoke to lots of people on the tour, spoke to lots of players, and they are confident, genuinely confident. I'm sure they would have said they were confident a year ago, and then they lost the opening two games against Brighton and Brentford, but I believe that the team is better than a year ago. All sorts of questions. Um, Rasmus Hoyland, how is he going to do? Who's going to start? Has Mason Mount done enough to start? Who's going to be the right-back out of Aaron Wambasaka? And uh, Diogo Dalot. I don't think those questions have, have been decided yet by the manager, but I, I think Manchester United are in, are in pretty good shape, and Wolves at home is, is should be a good start to the to, to the season for the team. What would constitute a good season this year? Mm. Good question, and I'm just sort of formulating my answer to that. But I have been thinking about it a lot, and I'm going to say more points than last year in the league, more goals. 
another cup and a decent run in the Champions League. Mm. But with a fair wind, you never know. I also think that rivals are going to be stronger. I think Liverpool won't be as bad as last season. Neither will Chelsea. Tottenham look like they've got a good attack-minded manager. Manchester City will clearly be favourites once again. So, Ten Hag made Old Trafford a fortress last year. Manchester United have got to improve away from home against against the good teams. And I spoke to several players about that, and and they know that that that's the one area where United have got to be more consistent within matches. And let's see if that happens. There's a game against Tottenham coming up. Although, actually, Tottenham were the only team in the top nine who didn't beat Manchester United at at home last season because, you know, it's Tottenham. Or are Tottenham any different this season, in your perspective? The Kane thing is kind of rumbling on. looks like he's going to stay now. Yeah, it does. You know, he was Eric Tenag's first-choice target towards the end of of the season, but United looked at the probable wage cost of Harry Kane as well as the transfer fee as well as what they thought would be Tottenham's reluctance to sell to a rival and just thought, we do not want a whole summer chasing a player like we did with Frankie de Jong a year ago. So United looked at um, Rasmus Hoyland. There wasn't a huge number of strikers to go for um, and also switched attention to Andrea Nana, one of the four goalkeepers Manchester United were were looking at, but he was the first choice and, and he came in told he's making a good impression, although he was lobbed at the weekend against Lons. Get your mistakes out of the way early. So it's, it's a big, important season, but Tenor genuinely has the support of the fans and of the players. And I, I spoke to enough of them to know that um, that is the case, but he's going to be judged by, by results and performances. Combined 60 million West Ham bid from Maguire and McTominay is quite interesting. It's very interesting. It's starting to look like a serious bid, isn't it? When when I saw a bid of twenty million, I thought there's no way Manchester United are going to sell for that a player who costs so much. But when you start going fifty, sixty, and you look at it from the player's perspective, they will be thinking, "Am I going to play?" And the answer is probably not, unless there's going to be injuries. But not just one injury, two, three, or four injuries. And they're both good players who who can play Premier League football. Harry Maguire and, and Scott McTominay are both internationals, very important ones for Scotland, for England. They need to be playing football. Uh, we've got the European Championships next year. All along, Harry said he wants to stay at United and fight for his place. And I'm sure on the record he would say that as well because he's got a contract and I don't think any rival club will be paying him what he's on at Manchester United. But let's be realistic. It, it, I, I would say that both of those players w- w- would move on. And West Ham do have money as well because they got all that cash in for, for Declan Rice. So I think we'll see more activity in the transfer market. And if those two go and Manchester United get some serious money in, then we may see uh, some, some more incoming players to Old Trafford. Just briefly from Manchester United perspective, how disappointed are you you haven't gotten Rice? Well, he's very good, isn't he? Um, don't know how good he is. I interviewed him a couple of years ago. I thought he was a a pretty switched-on lad. Um, but I'm, before I'm not, or after I'm not he abandoned football. Ireland? Yeah, I know, I saw that. I didn't want to um, tread near that Throw delicate there, yeah. diplomatic issue yeah. and just uh, remind you. Find him that. He won't anyway. be going to Hartigans no, anytime soon. No. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm not, it's, it's not one of them where you're thinking, 
we've really really missed out there but, but I know he's a, he's a very good okay. player but yeah it's not it's not a big deal for United fans last one for you Andy I wanted to bring you in on this just from the perspective of what the reaction is over here this is the back of the sun time bomb uh, Raf Rage uh, dangerous new rules KDB added minutes don't make sense I genuinely do wonder sometimes, do the people running the game give any crap whatsoever about the players who actually play it, who are totally, totally overworked, who basically are asked to do this ridiculous roster and now have an extra 10% on top all of a sudden? Money triumphs mm. every single time and always has done. And it was pretty uncharacteristic of Rafa Varane to come out and say that. I think he's right in saying that. And maybe he knows his own body better than most players, and he he knows he can't be playing two games a week. He's someone who's picked up a lot of injuries, but th- there will be more and more demands put on players because money will see out, and the pushback from clubs or authorities. Well, you're getting paid a huge amount of money, but I'm with the players on this one, and we saw at the weekend in the championship in England, games were lasting. 22 minutes longer. We saw it in the World Cup final. I'm not sure what it was like in, in Ireland. I was going to go to Shamrock Rovers on Sunday, but it was just a bit too close to the finish of the game of the Aviva. But I will be, I will be back to see them. You're an absolute Varane, legend, Andy. You're like, because, yeah. An extra be... hour, definitely. That was the, the, the kickoff time for mm, the hour. Just, yeah, seven would have been okay. We, yeah. we need we need exactly. to get you to a Friday night game because that's when, like, the Sunday games are, they just don't have quite the same. But you, I, I guarantee you, um, you will love a League of Ireland game. I've heard I've heard all about them. I know mm. and respect the rivalries. And touching on what you said earlier, when Man United used to come over in the 90s, I saw them play at places like Shelbourne. Mm. Although I was told that it's shells and anyone who says Shelbourne is posh. <laughs> I was corrected at, at, at the weekend on that one. So you know, I know about the rivalries St. Patrick's, Bohemians, and um, I know that there's a very rich football culture there. And I see some shots of the atmosphere and, and, and I really respect it. You know, I know... English football is really well supported in the Republic of Ireland, but I think it's also important that the domestic league does well. And I keep an eye on it, you know, Cork City, I saw Dundalk a few years ago. I know there's been some pretty compelling stories there. Yeah, Dan actually brought his uh, mother for her 80th birthday to the Shelburne uh, Hotel, which is this posh uh uh, shop in town uh, when it's my mother's turn she'd either be going to watch Shelburne or she'd be going to watch the dogs <laughs> at Shelburne Park uh, first after uh, sorry lost my train of thought here thanks Andy thank you <laughs> a bit like the dogs I back so let's uh, hear from Cork Camogie boss Matthew Toomey on the All Ireland Triumph after that we have Tim Clancy in studio yeah that was Matthew Toomey little, little known fact Tim Clancy's actually a very good hurler or at least you, you play it a bit anyway I wouldn't say very good Johnny um a defensive corner forward would be my <laughs> position. <laughs> Where did you play? Is this an app boy, is it? or uh, Kiltail. Down uh, just outside Trim there. So, um. You were playing when you were draw the manager, weren't you? You were like doing bits in the summer and that. Like, yeah. 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 Rocking well, up for Whatever they're stuck. Yeah. Mm. The juniors now. No one so, here the seniors. So it's interesting because we're, we're speaking to Sarah about like trying to get Camogie sold. Like, you have kids as well. Like, so... In your part of the world, what are they likely to... I know one of your daughters has gotten into horse and that, but what are they likely to be introduced to locally, I suppose, in uh, Mead? Um, listen, I think uh, Trim's got uh, unbelievable facilities in the GEA club. Um, I'd say it's one of the best in the country for a club team. It's it's remarkable uh, setup they have up there. and um, They're strong, obviously, GEA connections in, in Mead and... Kiltail, where we were living for, for five years there, where the kids go to school, is, is just all hurling and camogie. There's no uh, football wow. in that little village, so um, 
I think you play for either Dunsany or uh, Manalvi in the football if you're if you're from Kiltail. So that area, um, I think they had a few there in the in the intermediate uh, All Ireland final there on Sunday mm. as well from the club as well. So um, yeah, there's it's just a good chance you'd end up if you're, if you're definitely from Kiltail, you'll definitely be playing hurling or camogie. See, see, you're you're a kid, right? Facilities got a matter, right? So and I, I I was. I was actually delighted with the Icelandic lads who went to Oriel last week and said, "What do they call it? Like they a don't pigsty, a pigsty." And they're like, the, "The the pitch is a disgrace." They were saying, "Notwithstanding," and you're looking at like Brideblick who are like third in Iceland, or whatever. And Shamrock Rovers go over there. I wasn't there, but by all accounts, really, really modern facilities, sports kind of facilities, and. I don't know, Tim, in this country we're so far behind, not only in, in football, but so many sports. And you're like, we've so much money in this country, we can't seem to get our facilities right. No, I think even if you look at, there's a huge project for um, Park Talton and, and, and me, then a lot of the clubs as well would be probably the same, haven't been touched football or um, GEA in, in the last maybe 15, 20, 30 years even. Um, I think the League of Ireland, we've, we've, we've banged that drum enough now that the Facilities are the main thing that we have to try and improve. And um, facilities are training facilities. All facilities. Yeah. All facilities, and I know um, uh, managers will prioritise um, training facilities, and also others will, will probably uh, higher up will, will prioritise this this stadium. But I think uh, as soon as both improve massively, um, and that's only going to help with with government funding um, you'll see probably a better product for we should, ask yeah, a, we very, a very very personal question before Dan gets in what football have you been watching since you uh, left the role in Inchigore have you been watching League of Ireland are you yeah no I watch, I watch a game most weekends I'll, I'll, mm. I'll have the um, LOI TV on if I don't go I've been to Trot a few times uh, to Bowes against Rovers um, bit of a bandwagon jumper like yourself there Johnny only big games to go to but to be fair, that's a bit harsh on Johnny. He no, doesn't, he doesn't go to really games at all. Um, <laughs> but like the the so the like the Irish players now, like the likes of you know, you're looking at the Southampton situation, and like, will you start engrossing yourself now in all the kind of the English and Scottish games as well with this massive Irish interest? Well, uh, particularly at championship level, I suppose. Yeah, I think last weekend you've seen uh, probably a good bulk of our players getting the first game of the season in the in the championship and SPL or whatever else. So. Um, yeah, I'll take in a, a good few games. The ones are on the telly, and mm. the ones you can get access to. So, um, I watched a bit of the Cardiff and Leeds game, and Callum O'Dowd was doing really well at left back. And fortunately, they let in a few late goals or whatever the late goal that, that cost them the point. But um, yeah, it's it's good that actually football's back, and you can see that. Um, well, sorry, football in the UK is back. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. see that the, the the buzz about the place again, and a lot of the the Irish players are, are getting going again now. Because I know I, I chatted to you briefly last week about uh, Chilozzi Ogbené, who you played against, who's gone to play Premier League football this year. And I know you would have worked with Luke McNally, who Johnny likes to bring up in the show, maybe every thirty minutes or so. Um, but it, like he's gone on loan now to Stoke, and I just wonder, like from your experience of like spending a lot of your career in the UK as a player and then seeing players here and knowing what it takes that like I think it's funny I think there's a there's a correlation you always spoke with Luke about how athletically he's very good Ogbeni you spoke about playing against him when he was what 18 19 and you could see his athleticism is that almost the number one thing we're looking at with some of our Irish players now in terms of making that transition to the UK and and seeing the ones that you know can can hopefully make it over there I think that's where um, football's going. Yeah, I think if, you, if, if I spoke to Owen Doyle about it quite a bit as well, and Doyle was flying in the SPL and flying in League One and League Two level, and then when he stepped up to the Championship, he said it's just a little bit different. Where mm. they're all physically very, very good. Um, 
I'd say it probably is the first thing that someone asks you as soon as they, 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 they what's this player like and then next question will be how big is he athletic quick mm. and it sort of goes down that route and then I think to be um, playing at that level and not be athletic you have to be absolutely phenomenal um, and I think the ones like Ogbeni who's, who left he was at Cork obviously he's a young lad and went to Limerick they get game, uh, game time and I played against him and he was, he was athletically very very good and yeah. um, he's kicked on again so yeah. yeah that's mad when you think about it when that. he was uh, at Limerick when I was at Braid mm. last season I was there so and then you'll see the likes of Luke and uh, young lads like that as well and I think that's why uh, I spoke so very highly of Adam Murphy as well I was just going to say yeah, people, athletically very very good because people will ask you because as, as St Pat's boss you worked with Adam Murphy with Sam Curtis even with Mason Melia sort of laterally who is like you know he's 15 so it's insane but he still is on everyone's radar but they are the attributes you, are, you have to be looking at yeah but I think Mason's probably ticked a, a box already at 15 that um don't have to worry about his size. He's he's a big kid. He's probably six foot one. Yeah. Um, he's he's athletically very good, and he's he's obviously going to grow and be stronger. Um, so he, clubs don't have to worry about signing potential. Going is he going to be physically big enough? Because Mason will develop into um, a very very strong young man, and uh, ability wise, he's, he's exceptional. You see what he's done at Pats, and obviously Big Dint. He's given him his debut, and he's scored a couple of goals um, this season. So. Yeah, it, I think it's a it's a question mark that clubs will have. They're investing money. Is are they physically going to be able to be, to be good enough? And when you have someone like Evan Ferguson, probably four years ago, when when yeah. I signed him, he was physically already already capable of playing men's football. And um, I think Mason takes the same box there. Meads Evan Ferguson, of course. You know, yeah, there wasn't too many Mead lads playing over in the UK oh. for a while, and like he's he sort of killed you all now, hasn't he? Really, Evan. No, he's eight lads as well. So, uh, yeah, Jamie, Jamie McGrath, McGrath. You've yeah. got uh, Daryl Lennon. Daryl Lennon. Um, yeah. been a, there's been a lot of them now. Like, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, it, it 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 must be weird watching if you watch Pats or if you watch watch them in Europe, and it must be it just must be strange. What's that been like? Because say their European performances against Dudelange, the they obviously got away with it a bit in the first leg great moments in the second leg but I was thinking you would have set them up a bit differently because you, were, you would you, you would have been a maybe I was thinking Pats in Europe last year or the Pats in Europe this year you're different managers now yeah listen I don't, I don't think results would have been any different with, really with me there like uh, yeah listen I might have maybe looked at something different but didn't he had a big say when, when I was there as yeah. well and so on um, he has them absolutely flying they're flying in the league the great form that they're on so mm. um I think he'll be a little bit disappointed in the European game. Um, the goals they gave up were probably ones that, as a manager, you can't allow for. Like you, you can't sort of be on the pitch and make decisions for players. And I know uh, the second leg, I only, only got the second half of the second leg. And um, when Adam Murphy scored, I thought there was only going to be one team that was going to win yeah. it. And then, uh, listen, there's a poor decision by um, a centre back to play straight into the midfield and then the compound that he flew in and tried to win the ball back and they go in and get a goal and sort of kill the momentum of the, the game Pat's had so This is John Daly you're talking about just if you're uh, not aware of who Dindy is John Daly took over from Tim but uh, I suppose there's been a lot of focus on the European performances um, and I love how John Daly went with a lot of young players in Europe and gave them experience some of them reveled in it some of them learned from it Shamrock Rovers didn't really have that option or didn't use that option and it was really really limp in fairness we've got to say they scored one goal over the whole European campaign and that was a penalty yeah but like again we're looking at uh, individual results this season and saying right where, where did it go wrong and what went wrong with Pats and I think Doodalang were in the group stage twice in the last four years so they're a good they team. They weren't a bad side, yeah. They're a good team. Like, um, 
both teams that, that Rovers played like to, to, to get the um, first round of the Champions League once it's a tough game to, to play and when you lose that you get Ferenc Varas in the second round um, or your next European game and um, I think they were in the group stage last year um, and they're a good good team like so and you see the setup when you when you go over and you're looking at the game on the telly and there's a 25,000 seater stadium mm. and it's it's a big big club so I think we've probably been spoiled for last year was an exceptional year in Europe because I think Sligo won a lot of games under Rustler and we got through to the third qualifying round Rovers got to the group stage so it was a really good year um, and then obviously you're only left now with Derry in the third qualifying round this year so you're going to have that once a uh, picture overall for the for the I suppose take over a five maybe ten year period um, looks more positive um, you know you're going the right way then mm-hmm. I mean Derry when you think about it, the Derry City story I know you have uh, you have strong links in Belfast Tim and uh the prospect of Derry playing in Windsor Park now is if you haven't if you haven't heard one. this is absolutely class. Yeah. So when I when I heard in like when in, in the second uh, half of the game when Derry looked like they might go through a basket case, such an enjoyable game in Finland. I was onto a Derry fan. And he's like, they're not going to be able to play this in Brandywell, and I was like, they got to play it in Windsor. And he's like, no, it's going to be Tala. I was like, Windsor would be unbelievable. It may happen. This would be so yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, and again, you wouldn't think that would have been the case. Well, the reason why they're in the League of Ireland is probably because of the trouble there was maybe mm. 30 years ago when they were playing in the North or 40 years ago whenever it was so. 40 to 50 now really yeah. Yeah. well it was 1972 when they left the Irish League mm. because 50 years the, ago, the, yeah, the so. clubs the clubs the other clubs in the Irish League wouldn't they voted against going to play in the Brandywell yeah. um, on account of their security concerns so Derry did try and get back in a couple of times subsequently and again the feeling was you know the clubs wouldn't go and play in the Brandywell and clearly there's a whole issue of how you know Derry's relationship with Belfast and you know the whole mm-hmm. the issue there so like I remember when Derry played Linfield in 2006 in a Santa Cup tie and how big even that was for Derry to go and play a competitive game there but um, for Derry to host a game there effectively to, to actually you know for What's the team from Kazakhstan situation? to go there and like the, this is you know you, you watch a game from afar like that team that Doc played last week um, K.A. they were actually playing a couple of hours away from their home ground mm-hmm. but to us in the, you were like, you know, the Dock were playing away against K.A. in their home pitch you know my people around the world might be looking at oh, Derry are playing on their there's their home ground you know in Windsor Park I mean it's it's extraordinary like you it's know, you such get, a cool. Like the first time I was in Windsor Park, you go in and like into one of the the function rooms there, and there's uh, the Queen. There was a yeah, big portrait of the, of the, the Queen king there, now, of course. And yeah, yeah, and uh, and Terry playing there. I mean, it would be an incredible thing to happen. I I remember my my uh, first experience at Windsor was going to watch. I think Cork City were playing there, and. I got a lift back. It was the day that um, the smoking ban was introduced in Northern Ireland, I remember. And I was on the Shankill um, because the Linfield fans had laid out... Linfield had laid out this kind of um, reception for the Cork fans. And I remember getting a lift back into town with a busload of Linfield fans that I'd never met before. And I was meeting a kid from County Down, a Catholic kid. And I remember when he saw the bus arriving, he was like kind of, what the hell is this? And it has moved on so much, I think, since then. Yeah, I think if you look at it, uh, Pat Fennan had a, had a stint up there again as director of football, and a lot of the players in the in their academy teams now are coming from um, Catholic areas. Um, I think Pat's gone on record in saying that the, the setup that Linfield have is is phenomenal. Um, my nephew actually plays there as well. Um, 
and he's doing quite well. And Who's he playing with? He plays for Linfield's, uh, I think it's 15s or 16s. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, he's over in... Where's he uh, from? He's from, well, he's from the Short Strand, is where, where's that from? He's, so. he's a Short Strand kid playing with Linfield's underage. Well, his dad's from there, yeah. He's living in over in, I think it's... Uh, I think the Antrim Road area now. So, cool. um, yeah, but there's loads of loads of the kids, and this is pro- a big probably, deal. Like, this but it probably goes. Deal. It probably goes now that they, they get treated really, really well there because um, Linfield see that there's a there's a massive talent pool in in in, in all areas, and mm. I suppose to keep the the Catholic kids, they probably treat them really, really well, and might prioritise signing them and. Um, than kids in their own area because they know the kids in their own area will, will sign there anyway. I'm sorry, Tim. Look so. at the facilities. Look at Windsor Park. Yeah, you want to play like it's such a cool ground. And like Dan, the crowd that Derry could get there. Imagine like the interested onlookers type. Because um, I was up. Um, I don't know if you were at the game, Linfield Carabeg a couple of years ago. Stevie O'Donnell was with me at the game. I remember, and there was such a buzz that night in the ground. But outside the ground, there were like I remember there were like UVF flags. Oh yeah, no. So it's like this is the heartland of loyalists. What is it, South Belfast? Um, so there's a lot going on here. No, no. This is. A sort of a news story game as much as anything and particularly um, if it happens similar, well, if it happens it's, it's in UEFA UEFA have to decide but it does seem like all the various associations are fine with it which is progress in itself I think there may be so, an issue that the Kazakh players are trying to get Irish passports and blah 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 anyway well it could be yeah well that's the thing like it's actually can be well, I mean, the Derry did benefit in the previous <laughs> round from a couple of African players not being able to and I did look at the uh, the, the top all squad they do have a, an African striker so I don't know maybe it suits if it's in <laughs> Belfast but it is bad, like, the, the bigger point Tim I suppose is, is for Derry to try and keep the tie alive to bring it home I mean they could have been playing Basel and I think there would have been a sense of a Basel that you know get end of the road all of a sudden you're playing a team that okay they're clearly good because they've beaten Basel but it doesn't seem as intimidating on paper and like Derry have good European experience running through their dressing room now that everyone seems to be fit I mean what do you I don't know what, it's, it's hard to say without knowing much about the opposition but what do you think about their prospects yeah, but that, that could also play into the hands of um, probably expectation levels of Shamrock Rovers. Uh, oh, they should be in the group stage every year now because of how well they did the last year. Yeah. So because this team on paper maybe isn't as good as Basel, um, people are saying, oh, well, they've got a good chance of winning. So, um, yeah, I've spoke to Higgy um, briefly about them and he says, listen, they're, they're a very good team. They press uh, very yeah, heavily. Press aggressively. So, um, yeah, again, you're, you're going to go into the game and Listen, if you're if you're if you're going through this round, um, it's going to have to be a, as you said. There, bring bring the game back to to Windsor, Windsor or whatever. It is, the, so. if, you're, if you're playing, so if you're managing, so if you're Rory Higgins in that situation, and you're going away from home, and you're playing against a team that you know is going to press really heavily against you, how do you try and approach it then with Derry with the personnel you have? Like, what are you thinking then? How do you do you do you try and go a little bit more direct at times or what way what instructions are you giving to your players in that scenario well, it's, it's, there's, there's multiple ways you can do it um, obviously you have to you have to without seeing them you have to see what type of um, players they have and if, if if they're athletic in the middle of the pitch or if the centre halves are not the most mobile or whatever I'd, I'd imagine as you're saying that you could beat the press and hit Cavan up top if you wanted to go with a big man who holds the ball yeah. very well and then just get your legs like Mickey Duffy and um, other ones off him. Um, well, listen, Higgy's done done exceptionally well um, this yeah, season. Last season. season as well. In fairness, look at look at Kavanaugh's role last week was a bit part player. Graydon he brought in who then was sold, and they were they weren't they weren't at all conservative from that game in Finland. They really did approach it trying to score goals. Like yeah, and I think if if you look at that, um, Keane Kavanaugh was in the first of his novice with Waterford, and 
Um, Graydon was in the first division with Longford mm. and, and Higgies brought them into um, a team that's challenging winning cups and uh, challenging the top of the league and um, it's brave and you can see that obviously it's one of the things that Rory's very good at is, is spotting a player that will um, fit into his system and do well in his teams and um, that's why the, the young boy McMullen I think it is that's coming yeah, on the way and great signing. looks very very good and it's always the, the, the sign of a good signing is um, Stephen Kenny was excellent at Dundalk when he lost Horgan he brings in Mickey Duffy and when he lost I think it was someone else he brought in another like I think Andy Boy left in Vemlin or whatever his name was came yeah, in yeah he's a good player and he brought in players yeah. when he lost good players yeah. I think uh, Richie Towell left and yeah, then McElhenney came in, in. so yeah. there was a transition and nobody ever spoke about the player that, that left and that's where Stephen was unbelievable at Dundalk and it looks like Higgy's got that as well at, before, at before we wrap up Ben there has been a lot of soul searching about the sort of indifferent results whatever and there you're flying the flag but the, the point has been made like we are losing a lot of players because that's just the way it is now you can lose, you can lose the likes of Curtis who may go obviously in Mealy or whatever but it's that tier of players then who are going to League 1 so <sighs> How do we sort of make make up the gap then and, and get the transfer fees in or, or at least have the players coming through? Because Shamrock Rovers seem to be in a bit of no man's, man's land in Europe this year where none of their players were coming through from the academy, but they lost lines in Mandroyo and they couldn't cope, if that makes sense. Yes, it's very hard. Rovers are the best academy in the country, but it's very hard to get into Shamrock Rovers' first team because they are so good. Um, and it's brilliant bringing academy players through and having a pathway there, but they have to be good enough to get into... Stephen Bradley's team and they haven't got to a group stage and won three league titles in a row um, for no reason it's because they've got exceptional players like if you're a, a young attacking midfielder at Shamrock Rovers in the, in, in the academy you have to get rid of Jack Byrne and um, Richie Towell and Graham Burke and Liam Burton now he sees he gets his first goal after his injury the other day like, so Rovers, Rovers have a lot of exceptionally good players but yeah you want um, you want a pathway for kids and I know what you're saying is uh, get better transfer fees in. I think they have to have a blanket uh, agreement across the league to. to you would, uh, you would advocate this, that. Well, the sell on uh, or uh, get out clauses and contracts. I think if every club in the league says no, we're not doing them, um, and everyone has to stick for it, like, and then you'll get better better transfers for our players. Dan, yeah. Well, I think the only issue with that is the players then will just not sign longer term contracts mm. and try and go and freeze but there still is compensation that comes with that that is if you're going to decent clubs that compensation is substantial enough now I think like some clubs individually are not doing them anymore like Bowes aren't doing them Cork aren't doing them um, but but I suppose representatives will find a way to try and get round it um, but yeah know. 100% they will but um, we can't cry about transfer fees if if uh if clubs are putting the clauses in and I can yeah. understand that if you want to get a player like a smaller team to compete with Rovers or one of the bigger teams and they can't do it financially they can they can say listen we'll let them go for, for cheaper um, but until that's out of the game I think it's 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 going to be the same for transfer fees and as you're saying losing players to Lincolns and, and League One clubs Kev, Kev Doherty's obviously been a long time ally of yours what did you make of the situation where he was seemingly just tapped up by Cork? Uh, listen, I'm not surprised. I think I think right now he's he's the manager of the year. Um, I think what he's doing at Draw it's it's remarkable. Um, they've got Andrew Wogan, a 17 year old, in in goals. I don't, I'm not too, uh, too sure how many other um, managers in the Premier Division will play a 17 year old. Mm. Manny Adebayega playing centre back, and he's got a move to to Norwich. Um, it's just year after year, Kev's churning out uh, results and. 
overperforming to what he should be but they've a very very good squad and um, I'm not surprised the core came calling and I'm also not surprised the Kev turned it down because I think things are, dropped, are probably changing dynamic in the background and um, he probably sees uh, maybe next season will be a bit different there Sadly we're running out of time but uh, two of the lads you, the lieutenants you brought in are absolutely thriving as managers so you're a good judge of a good judge of a football brain You'd love to be my assistant if I got another job, wouldn't you? <laughs> where are you going? That's my job last question. Wants, yeah. where, where, where is Big Tim? The next one is the big one. The Linfield job that ever came up with. That's the one for you. Well, listen, probably play our home games in Derry, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are, are you actively pursuing future gainful, meaningful employment? Well, listen, I look to see if there's something that comes up and if, if a club, I'll apply for things that um, I'd be interested in and if, if, if they'd be willing enough to give me, a, give me another go I'd be delighted to get back in so we'll just have to sit and sit and wait and see if that comes up Are you As patient? Like are, are you sort of getting antsy now? It's a, I'm sure you get out of it at first and it's great to get a little bit of a break but Yeah well it, it was the first time I was out of football for, for 21 years since I left school really apart from an injury I had at uh, St. Johnson before I came back mad. to Ireland so yeah it is you get first few weeks is grand and then she starts giving more and more jobs around the house. So Seanine. Yeah, I'm desperate yeah. now to get myself another club. Sean, does Seanine want you to get a new club now? Is she like... I, the, the time any, is any job now. This any job. She wants me to get. But no, yeah, it's, 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 been, it's been good. Because um, the reality of the League of Ireland shift, so you, you, you would have night shift, wasn't it? Um, when you were drawing match, it always reminded me of like third Simpsons and final Simpsons reference of the day. When Homer had two jobs and the door in the quickie mark was just hitting his head and he couldn't wake up, he was that tired. And I was always thinking of you, like Tim Clancy, just like trying to think of tactics and the door is just hitting his head. Yeah, listen, I'm not the only person that, that works two jobs or whatever so mm. um, yeah that was just the reality of it back uh, to it was a night shift so. it was a night shift yeah but um, yeah, that was a good that was three years ago or something so um, yeah listen you do what you have to do thanks for coming in oh well Johnny um, yeah we did have a couple of comments just on facilities um, it's pretty simple the dog shouldn't get a license until they fix the pitch from Peter M and Quirky 1980 um, the big construction firms have made it impossible to build anything in Ireland they gobble up any government funding as profit and the only thing I would say is for I would have a lot of sympathy for clubs everything is so expensive to do anything now um, that is going to be a problem and we also have a comment from Mark Kennedy Sligo Rovers lost Johnny Kennedy Keena and now Mata. Uh, every year for the last three years unless there are proper money that's just a circle as really difficult Sligo Rovers who in my view are not entirely out of the relegation struggle uh, on the back of um, losing Mata so on tomorrow's show Ger and Shane are back with uh, Leinster second row Ross Maloney who will be in studio we're going to have a Liverpool preview ahead of the season Andy Mitten forecasting that they have uh, improved plenty more besides right now though it's Gordon Darcy and James Downey uh, reviewing Ireland's win over Italy alongside JD have a terrific Tuesday TB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball.